Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This episode, we are talking to Michelle Collins, who is a psychologist, and she is doing a doctorate in the grief process that comes from going through deconstruction. And so I'm really excited to have this chat. Um, let's dive right in. It's great to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you too. Hello. <laughs> so you come highly recommended. I'm trying to think who it was oh. that recommended me. Uh, oh, it was um, Jason. Jason. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't even know Jason that well. We've only met. Okay. I, I mean, we've been friends on Facebook for a while, but. Right. Is that how um, he came across you and kind of like. Um, um, tracks with your work or what you're doing? Well, like I said, we've been friends on Facebook for a long time. We have a lot of friends in common, right. um, you know, always see each other on other people's comments and stuff. Um, he had me on his podcast not too long ago, Sure. Uh, but I have known him. I've been aware of him on Facebook and been involved in conversations with him for probably about a year. Okay. Sweet. Um, yeah. But, but got to know him a little better recently. So, yeah. No, cool. He, he recommended it. He's like, oh, you need to check out this one. She's got amazing stuff. Like, you'll really like talking about this and stuff. And so I was like, all right, well, give me a link or something. And, and he's like, oh, here's her Instagram. And I looked at your Instagram and I was like, I know nothing about you apart from that you are crushing it. Like, oh, just absolutely you. destroying weight, was, everything, you know, was, personal uh, fitness. But I was like, I don't know any more about any form of what she's doing. Well, I was surprised that it came through Instagram because Facebook's my main thing. Oh, That's where all of my stuff is. Oh, Instagram wow. is Instagram is totally just my bodybuilding. I, 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 That's I, so funny. I have some of it on Facebook, but all of it's on Instagram. So right. I was like, okay, that was interesting. That's funny. I, it, you know what? He probably just knows me well. I hate Facebook. Oh, I know. It's a cesspool I, I just, most days. I just, I'm like, no, if I can avoid it, I do. I've got a page that I like automatically post. The Instagram goes to the Facebook mm -hmm. and I check it like once a day for some comments and yeah. I'll like some stuff and maybe reply, but I just don't want to go there. So he probably knew me well. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you're doing? Why, why, why Jason recommended? He, he mentioned that you... Um, we're just kind of diving in, by the way. I don't know if that's okay. Um, how much time have you got? Are you okay for time? Yeah. You're pretty fine. open? Yeah, mm -hmm. cool. We usually go anything from an hour and a half longer, even if the, if it's flowing. But That's unusual. Dragging, <laughs> we'll, we'll stop. The, the reason is like you get such better content when you go in deep with someone. Yeah. And generally speaking, like if you're writing a book or if you're doing it's like, well, tell me about your book. And then, okay. Mm -hmm. like, and, and everyone's got their little pitch and they do the same pitch right. on every podcast. And then they get the same three questions. And people listen to exactly the same podcast on like five I different know. podcasts. And it's like, Oh, I'm done. I um, just said so, that to somebody yeah. yesterday. I said, I feel like I say the same things all the time, the same comments, the same stories, this, everything. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll go into <laughs> some totally weird and wacky, wonderful places. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I like it to be a little more casual, a bit more relaxed. Right. And then hopefully we'll just see what, what sparks interest. But from my understanding, you are writing a book, and, and you can correct how terribly wrong I am um, about the process of grief that one goes through when they start deconstructing, losing their faith, right. re-adapting what their faith looks like. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I was very interested or I became very interested as I was going through a, a deconstructive process myself. I became very interested in obviously all the emotion that you feel going mm. through it. And, uh, and as I began to identify those emotions, I started to realize that much of it looked like a grief cycle. Sure. And then I thought that's really very accurate to how I'm feeling. I feel like I'm grieving. I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm grieving, 
Um, and I'm sure that'll be different for every person. Some people are grieving God. Some people are grieving relationships. Yeah. Some people are grieving themselves. Some people are grieving all of it. But across the board, if you if you mention that this is like grieving, almost every person will go, oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that became very obvious to me. And I, I just got very interested in that. And originally it was a... Um, it was a topic for my dissertation for my doctorate. Okay. And that was what I was going to write on. But my doctorate's like, my dissertation's about two years away. Um, and I really felt because I was living it, like I need to get this out of me. So I right. wrote it from, I wrote it from a very anecdotal standpoint, not a scholarly standpoint, Sure. which I'm hugely nervous about because <laughs> I can write scholarly. That's not a problem. I start okay. writing anecdotally and I'm like, everybody's going to hate this. <laughs> that's so funny. Once you've lived in that kind of scholarly world for a while, you're like, oh my God, this page is disgusting. It's only right? got like a third of it is footnotes. What, what am I? An amateurian. Exactly. <laughs> You're actually just writing yeah. some stories about people deconstructing. The last thing you need is yeah. like, you know, footnote number 83 for this one chapter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's not very many footnotes. As I said, it's mostly I my it. experience. It. And so it's also very vulnerable yeah. to, put, okay. to put everything that you've gone through out there um, because immediately you start wondering who's going to identify, is anybody going to identify mm. or am I the only weirdo on this little journey? And, and then you start wondering like, well, some of the things that felt abusive to me is probably nothing for somebody else. So they're going to go, big sure. deal you know so there's yeah, all yeah, these yeah. psychological things that are going on when you yeah. when you write it's, anything oh so. of course I mean any especially when it's personal I mean like, yes. like I can get nervous <laughs> I, I can write a, like a theological blog back in the day I used to do a lot of mm -hmm. that and you know I'll be like here's my black and white opinion on how I figured out the bible and no one else has figured out right. this first yet and you're still like oh I hope people like it I, I know likes. I hope people don't send me hate mail or whatever yes. um but like when it's like oh I hope people like it and you're talking about yourself you know what I mean it's like your yeah. identity can't help but be a little intermingled with the story right, right? yeah and and there it, is it, a piece of you that you know that feels very vulnerable to if people don't like it what does that say about me yeah you know and and we can all claim that we're independent and we don't care what anybody thinks but that's all bull yeah, <laughs> every one of absolutely. us cares what other people think so yeah I, have you have you been quite public in your deconstruction or is this going to be quite a okay so you're not too worried about like you know your friends like picking up this book and going what the hell or I lost all my friends. Okay. I lost all my go. friends. Great. So, <laughs> exactly. I lost almost the majority, wow. I would say the very large majority of my relationships I lost, um, which was of course very hurtful and yeah. it brought about a lot of anger. Um, and, and so that was very difficult. So yeah, I've been very, very open about it. Um, one of the reasons that I am on Facebook as much as I am is because that's now my community. Those are, those are mm. my people. It's, <laughs> so it's to good speak. for that, isn't it? Because you <laughs> yeah. do suddenly get ripped out of this little local bubble a community and you go right. where the hell are all the people in this area that have been abused and hurt by church because they're not gathering in churches right and so you don't oh. you could have 10 people on your street that are falling into that bracket and you would know it know. yeah but exactly. you go on facebook and you start searching or whatever you can find little groups here and there and it's not the same yeah. but it's lifebloods as well isn't yeah. it yeah um, yeah it's very helpful because nobody wants to feel like they're alone no. You know, and, and this and this process or this transformation or whatever we want to use to describe it often makes you feel as though you are alone mm. or like nobody else can understand or identify with what you're feeling or experiencing, yeah. you know, yeah. and no, it really it's is. not true. Lots of people can, but it's still a yeah. very, you know, a closed in I'm all alone feeling. So, 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially because most of the people you do know are identifying very differently. If yeah. you <laughs> almost every relationship you have, if you've been a quote unquote good person within the church, it shouldn't have too many relationships outside the church, really. Just those few More, that you're yeah. evangelizing, you know, but outside of That's that, right. we're, we're That's a absolutely close-knit true. community and um, yeah. it's, it's very uh, cult-like behavior in a sense, not, not to... Yeah say anything particularly uh like it's intentionally cultish or anything but it's just that's how cults form isn't it but but it does come down to that i mean i can remember hearing when people left our church you know uh and then you know something bad happened in their life well you know they left Mm. the church and i used to think what a horrible thing to think and now i wonder what's been said about me (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what what wild stories are out there um because life is life and we're all going to struggle and stumble along the way and so if if automatically that's associated with you no longer communing Mm -hmm. in a certain community um that's pretty damaging (laughs) i think a lot of people experience that Oh, hundred percent. If you're in the community, yeah. it's a spiritual attack and we need to be praying for you and come around and support you. If you left the community, right. it's, it's God's judgment. It's that's right. protection. <laughs> or, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So how long ago did you go through deconstruction? Like talk oh. a bit about that journey for you. Well, um, first of all, I'll say that I don't think we ever stop going through it once we start. Um, and so I have a little bit of an issue with the whole idea of people deciding that you should be done with deconstruction mm. i don't think it's the their whole, place. The whole need for like oh deconstruction is fine but when are you going to start reconstructing when are you going to reconstruct yeah that's which means when are you going to come back and rebuild what you right. already had before but just maybe a tweak it you know yeah are you when are you going to get your next box when when is your next box going to show yeah that's my personal soapbox lately <laughs> um but yeah it's been about seven years ago that it started wow. okay yeah. Yeah. And it and it starts very subtly. You don't even realize what's happening. Or at least mm. I didn't. I I mean I can't speak for everybody. Everybody's experience is different. Um, but yeah, it was it was just a basic question in my mind that showed up out of nowhere. And I considered it and then put it aside, but it kept coming back. Right. And so then I started to be more vocal about my wonderings about it, um, which didn't put me in a very nice place with you know, people in my church. Yeah. Well, you're not allowed to look like you doubt. I mean, you're uncomfortable with it. That's why you're asking questions. And then other people start going, why are you making me uncomfortable? I don't want to deal with this. Well, that's what this all comes down to. I think that people that are experiencing, you know, what we've coined as deconstruction have found so much pushback because, and that in itself is very psychological. People don't want to be challenged about what they believe unless they're ready to challenge what they believe. Otherwise, if you make a good point, they now have to question everything they believe. Yeah. And so they'll they'll avoid it at all con you know, in in every way that they can, even yeah. separating themselves from you so that yeah. they're not, you know, uh, affected by you somehow. So Yeah. From my understanding, so I'm I'm not a psychologist, you know. I have to say that a lot. Uh, Neither am so, I yet. So <laughs> there you go, perfect. So let's let's figure that whole world out right now. Um, so you, it sounds like you're probably a little bit further along than me. Um, Maybe. But from my understanding, you know, the brain pr- primarily is wired for safety. So generally yeah. speaking, it doesn't give a crap what's true. It's like, well, that might be true, but actually what's going to keep me safe right now? Um, right. And I think in the sense that we've evolved to be very tribal, a lot of the time that safety is what keeps me in this group. And when our groups and structures are built on believing X per, you know, percent of a, a list of beliefs or you know, intellectually ascending to certain things, someone challenging one of those things suddenly makes me go, I don't feel safe. 
Right. Um, Absolutely. What, what fascinates me is, and I don't know if this is stages of psychological development, maybe we get to a certain stage where we start developing where we can go, we can kind of start breaking through that kind of need for safety, or maybe we shift in how we perceive safety. Maybe we see safety as figuring out what's really true. Maybe that's a much more important parameter for safety. Maybe. Or, um, But how, how do you see people taking that shift because it's obvious when you go back into that community and you start going hey guys i've got this amazing truth i figured out right. or there's no hell it looks like this or right. you know or whatever you know god's not a guy it's a woman as well or whatever there is no you know god or whatever extreme right. spectrum that there is all it of doesn't it. really matter <laughs> they go ah danger 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 but what is it that causes people to take a step out of that that to not see it as danger to to start you know you start asking these questions and you go you don't go danger danger you don't just go let's go into cognitive dissonance and shut that down right you go yeah, I've got I, that enough I'm going to move forward well I think it's going to be different for every person right um you know we all of course come from different familial backgrounds we have different um experiences educationally, culturally, societally, um, personalities are all different. Um, so there's so many variables involved. It's hard to pinpoint, like, I don't know that there's any one thing that causes this to be okay. I think it's something internal within us. And I think that it happens when we're ready for it to happen. I don't think we consciously know that, but I think somewhere within our psyche, there is, um, there's a shift that maybe now is the time to start considering other things. Um, there's lots of different theories on that, actually. I mean, uh, one of my favorites of, is Richard Rohr. Mm -hmm. and, and he makes the comment that the first part of your life is yeah. about building your box, which, of course, has things in it. But the second half of your life, and he even distinguishes that that's different for everybody, mm. is about deciding what should be in the box. And that's kind of what this process is. Now you're deciding what needs to be there, but how you got there, I don't know. Like, I don't know where my question came from. I, I don't know where it came from. Right. I just know it showed up and I couldn't ignore it anymore. I tried. <laughs> what, what was the question? <laughs> it, it was nothing more than a Bible verse. It was because really? I was a preacher. I was a teacher. I'd been reading the Bible since I was a kid. I was not, it wasn't new. Yeah. Um, but the verse uh, that he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I was raised to believe, or I don't know that I was actually taught this, but I, I grew up believing that I could lose my salvation. Mm -hmm. And so I had to constantly be on this, on this, you know, narrow yeah. road. And all of a sudden this verse one day popped into my head as an adult. And I went, how do I unbecome something that I never did anything to become? Mm. And then I went, huh? Oh, I don't know. And I went on, but then that question just kept coming back. Like it wouldn't leave me alone. Yeah. And I, I, I thought for a long time, God's trying to show me something. I really think God's trying to teach me something. And so, Oh, I have to, you know, I have to explore this a little. Yeah. So I started having that conversation with my pastor and that was very uncomfortable. Um, so there was all kinds of things, you know, but nobody could answer that question for me. Wow. So you didn't even just, you know, because there's obviously groups of Christianity that go, oh, no, you can't lose your salvation. Right. It's eternal. So right. I'm sure if you, you know, Googled enough, you'd come across different positions that go, oh, no, don't worry, Michelle. Look, right. you can interpret it in a slightly different way and then it's fine. That wasn't satisfying either. Enough that you would stop kind of going on this journey, presumably. Well, I, you know, I, I think the first thing 
I'm kind of a rebellious person. I, I'll own that. Um, I always tried to be a very good Christian woman. I was just horrible at it, uh, but I still tried. And uh, I think the thing that upset me the most was that my pastor so easily dismissed it as mm. though it were not an important question and actually wanted to shift the conversation and, and make it, it seem as though I was trying to suggest that there was no such thing as sin. And I didn't, I didn't say that. Um, I have different thoughts on that now, but I, I didn't say that then. And so the fact that it was so easily dismissed kind of annoyed me. Mm. Um, and so finally, I just reached the decision. I said, it's cool if you don't know, but I'm going to go find out. And so yeah. then I started reading every book I could get my hands on, podcasts, everything you could think of. I went and explored. The only problem with that is none of that gives you answers. It only provides more questions. Yeah. And so suddenly you're down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, how did I get here? Um, so, you know, I don't know that I ever got a satisfactory answer to my, to my question at that point. Um, mm. But it did start the process of questioning yeah. a lot of things. It's so intriguing to me that it, it, you, you never know these things, but it's so right. intriguing. You hear that story and you go, what if he'd gone, hey, that's a really good question. Right. I struggled <laughs> with that too. And I, I, I don't know a hundred percent. This is where my conviction leads me. I still mm-hmm. feel like more like this, but you could try this, check this book out. That's got a different view or perspective. Mm-hmm. Would you still be sitting in that church today? Maybe not, but like, it's I don't like, think so. <laughs> it's such a different, um, the fact that that, that his response was so shut off to your question that you immediately just turned around and went, I'll try everything else then. Well, it was uh, very defensive. Yeah. It was, it wasn't just his response. It was his wife's as well. It was very defensive. Like, how could you wait a minute? You know, and, and so, it, like I said, it struck me as kind of annoying, like, yeah. well, hold on. Cause I've never been good at t- somebody telling me I can't do something. Um, so it was like, uh, okay, this obviously needs some more thought or discussion yeah. somewhere. And, and like yeah. I said, I was totally cool. If he didn't know, all he had to do was say, I don't know what to tell you. I, I really yeah. don't know what to tell you. And I would have been like, okay, I get it. That's fine. But yeah. it, it became almost that he was threatened somehow by the question, yeah. or that was my perception anyway. I won't speak for him, but no, um, that was my perception, you know, that this, this question is somehow offensive and I, and I'm not clear why. I mean, I, and, and this of course led to different discussions, but one of them that I happened upon was the idea of universalism. And of course that'll put you in a really bad place with a lot of people, yeah. but I, but in my mind, in, in trying to understand everything, I, I even asked a few people, I'm like, well, as a Christian, shouldn't you hope that's true? Should, even if you don't believe it is, shouldn't you at least go, yeah, that would be really cool if that were true. Yeah. And to a person, I've never found anybody other than people who I identify as universalists that'll say that. They're all like, well, no, because, you know, so-and-so has to go to hell. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, we all have someone <laughs> that has to burn, right? <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't even so get somebody crazy. to admit that much, you know, so mm-hmm. it, at that point, it starts to feel very hypocritical and you go, okay, this is all a scam. This is, yeah. this is a lot of people with some very jaded ideas that have decided this is how I should believe and they don't get to make that decision. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I got pretty rebellious about it, <laughs> pretty angry. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, it's led me down the road for sure. So my expression of grief has centered a lot on the, on the anger side. Okay. Um, yeah. where other people's won't because their experience is different, but yeah. that's where mine is kind of camped for a few years. So Why better now. I, Cause that's a very common thing. And, and it's also a common, um, response. So mm-hmm. you'll typically hear from people in the church, whatever, oh, people have left because they're just angry. They're bitter. Yes. They're, they're yes. hurt. They're wounded as if like people getting hurt by the church and the problem is they're hurt. Right. 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 
not the problem that someone hurt them you know maybe we should turn this on ourselves and go huh right are people getting hurt in our churches but no no well, that, that was actually <laughs> that was actually a very big part of why we were no longer invited to be in our church mm. um we were told we were leaving we didn't choose that yeah uh but and as you mentioned a little bit ago maybe if things had been done differently, would I still be there? I'm, I'm pretty sure the answer is still no. Yeah. Just because there were a lot of people struggling and leaving at that time. And I was, right. as somebody who was considered a leader in the church, I was hearing a lot of things from people. And I was trying to reconcile that with the leadership and say, what's happening? And my husband was on the board. He was doing the same. And, and uh, we had two very good friends that, the husband and wife, and they decided to leave. And we knew all the details. Everybody else that had left, we didn't know the details. And we didn't ask mm. because that's that's gossip and you don't yeah, do that. No. Um, but we knew the circumstances with these people, but it wasn't what we were hearing. And so we actually went to the pastor and said, look, we have, this has to be figured out. You know, he was a very good, our pastor was our very good friend. And so it yeah. had been for years. So I thought this is just a conversation between friends. And it, it turned well, out it not. wasn't. <laughs> yeah. They're your friends until you realize they're not. And yeah. uh, that was deeply disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, our kids dated. I mean, we spent holidays together. I mean, gosh, that could have been we awkward, were friends. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would have been really bad, but we we dodged oh, that bullet. So. Yeah, that would be an interesting Christmas, Thanksgiving, everything. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's fascinating to me um, how much of a dynamic that is. So, like, it it it, it intrigues me. I, I read. Um, I mentioned this in like the last four podcasts. I've had, I've had a lot of interesting, similar uh, podcasts recently. But um, I just um, finished reading through um, uh, a book um, and it's a it's associate study as well by Packard and Hope called and the book was called um, Church Refugees I believe oh yeah, um, yeah. great book um, and I read through that and and it was fascinating how many of hypotheses they had going in which were just all wrong like everything like and, and it was funny because they're coming from a background. Um, at least within the book, I, I don't know them at all myself, but from how they come across in the book and how they describe themselves, they're coming from within the belly of the beast, as a sense. You know, they're coming mm -hmm. from the church observing the dechurched. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, dechurched is a slightly different group with overlapping right. components. Lots of people deconstruct, stay within church. And yeah. That's <laughs> complex. Um, but it's fascinating that their primary premise was like, oh, wow, the main reason people leave church, it seems, is not because they're hurt or they're wounded or they have differences of opinions or any of these things. It's because, generally speaking, when they have difference of opinion, when they want to be authentically themselves mm -hmm. and ask a question or share an opinion or be themselves, they're told you can't do that here. There, there is not an opportunity for them to be themselves in the community, to be heard, to be validated on their journey. Um, and that was across the board. They found like almost every person had that experience. The research we're doing, I do um, research with the deconstruction um, movement as best I can. I'm working with a research company in the UK to kind of do oh. that. Um, and so it's small just now. We've got a case, uh, a group of about 300 active participants that are doing regular surveys. Um, yeah. And um, early indications are that that is very much the case it is not wow. my belief changed it is not right. you know the church hurt me or i heard about someone being abused or you know a lot of mm -hmm. these different theories what's interesting is those things happen and what people sure. do is they try harder they try to change from within or they maybe leave that church but they go straight to another church they want yeah. the church to win they want my community they want and it just feels that um it fascinates me because it feels like there's, there's this opportunity. There's this thing. Now, I don't really give a 
crap am I going to a local church personally I've got a thriving <laughs> community I love life I do life the right. way I do it I'm not keen to go back into something that's institutional right. but it does feel like the institution is sitting on a precipice and they could respond if if their power structures and their structures of how they operate and how they need to believe mm -hmm. could shift could adapt it feels like they could be keeping a lot of people that are going through this process so, so? would you would you agree on your kind of perspective of I, I think I would. I, I think some of the biggest complaints that I've heard, of course, were not necessarily belief oriented, but more the atmosphere mm. um, that church had become a very corporate feel. Um, and, and and that was true for me, too. I was experiencing that in addition to I mean, because it wasn't until after I was asked to leave the church that I that I really went down the rabbit hole with what I believed and, and everything that sure. it was at that point, it was. Yeah, how I was how I was feeling about the church itself. What was it doing its job, hmm. and or was it just more concerned about existing? And that's what it felt like to me. It felt like it's a business now, um, and we have to have enough people in the door to bring in enough money to run this business. Hmm. And it just didn't jive with me. That didn't feel authentic to me as to what I thought we were supposed to be doing as Christians. Yeah, and so I was already struggling with yeah. those questions did, did the church as well. change or did your were you in a different position within the church to see it differently or how does how do you perceive that looking back on it well the church itself was a pretty small church uh you know in comparison to a lot of other churches i don't think we were ever more than 125 at our biggest okay um but so you know i there's an old stereotypical statistic that give, is given out i don't know how accurate it is that you know 20 percent of people do 80 percent of the work in a church um well that was i think that bears out a lot of times yeah. i know that even in a church that small there was a set group of people that did the majority of everything and, and my husband and i were a part of that as i mentioned i preached i i i was a teacher um, I ran a discipleship program. I was a worship leader. My husband and I were a prayer team. My husband was on the board. We worked in the nursery. We did, and my husband vacuumed every week. We did anything <laughs> and everything that you can think of in service to our church. Yeah. So we were privy to a lot of the inner workings. And especially with my husband being on the board, we were very much aware of the shifts and changes that happen, happened. We were a part of a major denomination, um, and then suddenly the idea was on the table that we should be independent. Mm. And so we went in that direction. Um, so there was no governing authority, if you will, to answer to anymore. Sure. It was just the pastor and an advisory board and whatnot. But it, so there was a shift that way. Yeah. And then because that pastor had specifically come from corporate America before he became a pastor, yep. it's it's very easy to fall into the same that's mindset. How you think it works, right? I mean, yeah. that's how you run an organization of right. whatever. And, yeah. and and quite honestly, and I and I will say this um, with clarity because he was a very good friend of mine. He had, he was a control freak, and I know it because we used to joke about it. Because I am too, and we used to I'm say we were almost the same person. <laughs> yeah. Just him. I like everything to be done the way I want it done, or I want to at least be in control of how it's happening. Yeah. So I understood his personality, understood a lot of why the mentality behind what mm -hmm. he did, but it did become very much like this very hierarchical, sure. you know, mindset as to how everything should run. So I think there's a lot of that in a lot of churches that are, at least I've heard that now mm -hmm. where people are uncomfortable with the setup of the church, the function of the church, um, you know, the, the, how it's structured to work. And not so much on the outreach side, at least yeah. our church wasn't. We would try and do things, but it was all about getting people to be inside the church then 
rather than how about if we just go out and meet them? And that was my big complaint. Why can't we go out and meet people where they are without any, I don't even know, what's the word I want? Without any you know, thought of trying to get them to do what we want them to do. I don't, an agenda. We didn't, I didn't want to have an agenda. I just wanted to go take care of people. And that wasn't, that wasn't a part of how it's supposed to be done apparently. (laughs) Yeah. So that's not met with a lot of, you know, I mean, that's something maybe, oh, you go do that on your own time, you know, Mm. but not with church resources. So that was a very big sticking point for me. Um, and, and, and I've heard from a lot of other people that that was as well. So that goes back to what they were saying. And I read that book as well. Mm. Um, before I even went through this process, I had read that oh, book. Yeah. And if it's the same book I'm thinking of, because the one I read was, was a sociological like, experiment or yeah. subject matter, like a study. Yeah, it, it was a sociological study. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think when it was. So it was quite, it was quite late. Though. I think it was about 2014, 2015, the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Oh, I don't oh, know. Yeah. It's on my bookshelf. In I, my I head, 2015 is like two years ago. My brain. I'm like, that <laughs> yeah, was like, it's a little longer than you think. <laughs> what is happening to my life? It's just disappearing. <laughs> I know. I'm getting older so quickly, and I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> well, I used to work out regularly. I'm not. So. I don't know. It's better not, not be able house. to move, apparently. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> joking yeah. with my kids this morning my I mean all my kids are grown but my youngest son and his wife live with us at the moment okay and it was their anniversary yesterday for two years and I go two oh, wow. years when did how have you been married yeah. for two years <laughs> and, and my daughter all laughed she goes oh well if you really want to feel it I've known him for almost a decade and I went ah uh, yeah no minute, how old am I <laughs> uh, you certainly don't look old enough to have kids oh, that are grown you. married you. that's that's you're, you're doing yeah. great so oh, thank you I'm 54 and I have like my oldest is 31 so I'm definitely old enough <laughs> but thank you I appreciate that so this is that's another factor that I've, I find interesting as well is um certainly in my experience a lot of because I I've worked with churches throughout the world um that are going through this process. Sometimes the leaderships are going through this process. But I've 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 had a relationship that's held over from before when I used to I used to travel and speak all over the world in different mm-hmm. churches and conferences and stuff. So I had a lot of relationships with church leaders and churches. And predominantly a lot of the narrative around it is ah it's just millennials doing their thing. They'll grow up so we've always had always around that age people leave church when they go to uni or something and then they come back once they have kids and that's the structure we know and and it fascinates me but that's not overly true like if you look at like the the overwhelming um spread of age there's a massive spread of age um that, that you're looking at and actually it, it does seem to be around the late 40s 50s seems to be a massive jump um, it seems to actually kind of stagnate in between the kind of younger 20 odds um, and then kind of not really change. And then you hit the kind of late 40s, 50s and it, it, it jumps up. Um, I'm not sure what that is. You know, I've, I've, I've not managed to get any data on that yet. Hopefully. Well, maybe it's that they're, maybe that's that you're at finally at a place in life where you, I hate to sound blithe about it, but maybe you're at a point in life where you're somewhat comfortable. Mm. You know, you've raised your kids. Now you actually have time to think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, wait a minute. I'm not just functioning to get through the day anymore. I actually have some time to think about it. So maybe that's part of it. I mean, that was true for me. It was after my kids that, you know, well, seven years ago. Yeah, right around the time that the youngest graduated high school, it was like, that's when all that started taking place. So Hmm. maybe it is something to do with having time to finally look at life differently. 
Yeah. You know, and that is a different phase in life because yeah, you do is, have yeah. those phases. Like you said, you have young adults or whatever that, like they said, we've, we know people exit the church at this time, but they come back, but that is a thing. They're not coming back now, many of them. No, and not. we can't keep just saying millennials because now you have generation Z behind them and they're not going to church. Dude, they're not even a large majority of them. Yeah. So you are seeing a great big evolutional shift in how people consider church and how it functions. Mm. Um, and, and, and this is just my personal opinion, but I do believe that the greatest majority of the buildings are fading away. I just do. Mm -hmm. Because of the internet, because of this great questioning and awakening, it seems that's happening. And kids that now want nothing to do with how Christianity looks. Yeah. Because I know for here, it looks very political. And I don't have mm -hmm. any desire to be involved with that. That's, that's not Christianity to me. And so you are seeing this big evolution. And I think we have to get really realistic about what it looks like going forward. Yeah. I don't know that we can continue to define it by a building and how many people put their butt in a seat every week. I just yeah. don't think that that's going to be doable going forward. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And, and I've talked to church leaders, multiple church leaders. Um, I've been a part of churches where I've sat down with them and said, hey, you're experiencing this mass hemorrhaging exodus of the church. Mm -hmm. You're asking me for my opinion. <laughs> and I'm telling you the same thing that the people leaving are telling you. And it mm -hmm. feels like you've got your head in your sand in, in the sand because what they're saying is we want to be able to be ourselves. We want to ask questions. We want to have discussions. We don't want to just be told a black and white answer and have to accept it at face value. We want some form of um, interactive elements right. to services. We, we want to be a part of this, but we want those yes. things. And the amount of churches that have said, okay, we're not going to do that. We're going to focus on the people that want what we want. And and then there are a, a huge group of people that need that, that need some safety, certainty, security, that are looking for some black and white models. But that group of people is slowly dying out. You know, if you look across, um, I'm quite a fan of different um, human development um, models, you know, um, it's just something like spiral dynamics, integral theory or things oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and, and if you look across the, the globe, we are slowly evolving. And as we evolve, the need for safety, certainty, and security very much there in certain pockets around the world where right. that's they're still very much in that traditional stage. But most of the world has moved into modern. In America, the vast majority of people outside of a church, modern. Even the vast majority of people in church are modern. They just take a step back as soon as they open the doors on Sunday and go in. They just yeah. go back into an old mindset and way of thinking. Let's have it. But, but you look at somewhere like Europe, the majority of Europe, postmodern probably. Moving into a, an even later stage um, and and to desperately cling on to go, we'll just create a system that works for people that want to operate in that traditional stage. You're talking two whole stages prior. You know, you're talking a stage that hasn't been popular for 50, 60, 70 years in Europe. Um, yeah. You're really you're going to die. And, 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 it's and going to die out. Yes. It, it's what, because it can't, it's not self-sustaining. Um, you know, I read a study and this has been several years ago now, but I read a study in which they were saying that pastors who made that was their vocation and they earned their living that way. Mm. If they were 50 or older, they were probably going to be okay going into retirement, expecting a salary, but pastors right. under the age of 50 had to start rethinking it because it was wow. not going to be sustainable in the current model because people were saying our resources need to be outside the building doing what we're supposed yeah. to be doing for the, for those in need, um, not inside paying the rent and a new sound system or the pastor's salary. Yeah. That's not, ex that's not what's important to us. Yeah. So they had to start. So it should, they should be bi bivocational. Mm. But a lot of pastors, and I brought that up um, 
in, in my church at one point, it does not go over well because no, this is I their security. No, I imagine the didn't like that. <laughs> no, that's his security. Well, that's how I feed this my kids. That's how I'm going to pay for the college. I'm going to have to be able to retire. Yes. Like, yeah, yes. and, and I understand that as well. I understand Absolutely. the fear and the, but it's reality on some level. You but I also look at that and weigh it yeah. up. Uh, but I also have a very big problem with fact, and I, it, where it's this way in America for sure, that we've put the title pastor in front of everybody that's involved in ministry, and that's mm. that's erroneous, because a pastor is not a vocation, although we've treated it as one. A past being a pastor is a heart issue. It's about mm. you having a heart for people. It has nothing to do with you earning a living, because I I'm a pastor. I'm ordained. I don't sure. use that title. I don't draw a salary from anybody or anywhere for that. But my heart is for people. I'll be the first one to stand in front of somebody that's being maligned or belittled. I'll be the first one to be there to help financially or however way I can help. But nobody's paying me to do that because Mm. I think as soon as you start being paid to do something like that, it does kind of shift in your head. It messes with things. Yeah, it does. And um, so I really have a problem with too many people being called pastor. I don't, I don't care for that at all. And of course that's not a popular opinion either. (laughs) (laughs) I started gathering a lot of unpopular opinions. That seems to be the way it goes, you know? Oh, well, <laughs> And yet, <laughs> here you go. You probably find a very popular uh, uh, set of uh, opinions you're sharing on this podcast, at least. I'm sure lots of people listening are going, yeah, shit. Well, good. Uh, I finally so made you go. the mainstream. You've, you've got some people, yeah, that's it. And, and you know what? You are becoming the mainstream, right? I mean, this is the fastest growing movement within yes. Christianity in, yeah. in, a, in America and in the West. Uh, it's yes. the fastest growing movement. There's no questions about that. Um, and so it, it does, it feels, and I think, it's interesting to me that there is a need for, um, as much as I'm loath to use the term, I, I cringe every time someone calls me a pastor. Um, <laughs> but in another sense, I, I also I also understand that what I do day in day out is I pastor people, I help yes. people, I help them process that's what their life that's what it's and supposed what's going to look on. Like. And, <laughs> right, you know, and, and my dad was a pastor, you know. And the thing right. is, we took no money from the church; they couldn't afford to pay us. He spent his mm-hmm. whole life in hospitals, talking to kids that got pregnant, about thinking about abortion, you know, like um, hanging out with people that were struggling, doing marriage advice, you know, going around to old ladies and keeping them comfy because they were alone. He was a pastor, you know. I mean, I because he that cared like, about people. Yeah, that, that's what that's supposed like, to look like. <laughs> and think, of course, there are people that are that way, and they do get paid. That's cool. I have no problems with that. Yeah, but I have a problem with people that are not that pastor at heart that are still yeah. called that, and then it be because here's what happens: it's damaging. It's damaging to them, and it's damaging to the people that they are pastoring. Mm. Um, because those people hearing the word pastor have a certain definition in their mind, so they have yeah. expectations that this person can't live up to because they're not equipped to. Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It just means that's not their forte. So it's damaging to those people because they can't, re- they can't understand why they can't get from that person what they need. Yeah. And then here's this person who I have the title, I have the position. What do these people want from me? And there's this feeling of being attacked. You know, so you have both of these sides that are in essence working against one another, all because of a perception of a word. Yeah. And so that I think has been a very big disadvantage for a lot of people as yeah. it as it pertains to understanding the term pastor yeah so it's a fascinating dynamic because i do think when you look at this as a as an emerging movement that you know uh, the the latest figures i've seen is about 2700 people every day leaving the church in america wow huge huge amount of people but that's amazing um 78 say they still believe in god and want to yes. pursue some level yeah. of spirituality so the vast right. majority over 2000 of them going yep we're still 
wanting to pursue Jesus. It's, it's not a falling away. It's an intentional move forward for them. It's maybe seen as falling away. It might even be falling away. Maybe we're all going to hell. Who knows? Maybe. But it's intentional. And it's it's not a eh, second, I'm done. It's a, this is the way I feel God leading me. Um, yes. And yet they have grown up in structures of relying on authority figures um, some of whom are fantastic. You know, like my dad was a pastor and he, he, he wasn't there to tell you what he believed. You know, he would just hold your hand while you went to the abortion clinic. You know, he, he would mm-hmm. just sit with you. If that's what where you're at, and my, my dad would be very against that, but he would he would do that. Um, but he would care about the person. Because he cares, you know? Right. And, and so there's plenty of people out there that are doing that. They're sitting with people, they're grieving with people, they're laughing with people, they're, you know, comforting and, and bringing some life and joy to people's lives. And I think my dad's least favorite part was preaching. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> but... There's a need for people like that in this mass exodus. There's a because it's lonely, it's scary. We're going through grief, right? If we are grieving, we need people to grieve with. That's one of the Absolutely. most fundamental components of recovering from grief and Absolutely. processing and going through grief is community and or at least having some people to sit with you, right? And just mm-hmm. cry. Um, that's all you exactly. get. It's, it's huge. Um, and what's fascinating to me, this is why I made the shift. I used to work within the churches. I felt like an undercover agent. I was trying to get people out. Um, <laughs> Not quite the language I'd use, but you know, that's basically, what's like, come on, there's a better way. I'll, I'll lead you out. Go out the back door. Um, but eventually I was like, gosh, I'm helping people within the church. Well, it doesn't look like the church needs any help getting people out. They're doing a really good job. They're doing the a really bang up job of it. Out. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's not necessarily a, a model that's needed. And if you are content with the church, which I'm like, good for you. If you die content with the church 20 years from now, I'm so happy. Like, I, I don't need you to believe like me or change your belief. If, if this works for you, that's wonderful. But for the people that come out, it's this mass movement of the, let's say there's, you know, a million pastors in America, <laughs> probably not quite, but it feels like it sometimes. Could be. Um, you know, they're, they're all wanting to help people. How many of those million are sitting with this group of people, are siding with this group, are, are saying, hey, I'm with you. I don't even agree with you, but I'm on your side. I'm walking with you. The vast majority of them are sitting in these churches with people who need a safety, certainty, and giving them it. And I, I just, I drew the line. I was like, I've got to get out and help people on the other yeah. side. Um, and and I, I do wonder what that looks like, you know, because for the vast majority of people, that isn't, this takes me like 60, 70 hours a week I spend doing this. Um, right. And I'm lucky enough that that just works. And I, I have people that donate to me and just help right. do that. But that's probably not a model that everyone can work on. Probably do, not. Um, <laughs> and, and it's fascinating to me how this is going to look as we start evolving and community, you know, support systems, people that leaders evolve regardless of what structures you build or how flat you try and build something. Everyone, you put 20 people in a room and, and someone asks a question, we all turn and look at a certain person in the room a because person. they're they're the most uh, right. knowledgeable in that area or it's about marriage and they've got the best marriage or whatever, you know? Right. Um, it's, it's intriguing to me. How do you see this kind of fleshing out over the next 20, 30 years because I mean, it's probably gonna look very different for different people as well. Probably, I, I think I think that you're right because it is such a large movement. I think that there has to be those people, and maybe this is where those that are truly called to be pastors step in because mm. now it doesn't become about doctrine, it doesn't become about tradition, it doesn't become about forcing somebody to believe the way we believe. It it becomes about taking care of the person, um, and as you said, even in dis, in disagreement, being able to say you're still valuable. Because I think at least that was my experience. And I think it's probably been a lot of others. As soon as there was disagreement, you're dismissed. Um, I, I, I grieved over the idea of people that I went to church with for years that I was there for when they needed something that suddenly 
decided I wasn't worth their time anymore. Hmm. Um, that's a horrifying feeling. And so this movement, as you're saying, that many people leaving uh, organized church buildings anyway, if not organized religion in totality, they need to know that there's a sense of community um, to work through that grief. Because again, many of them aren't going to realize that they're going through grief first and foremost. But second of all, if they do, it's a lonely feeling. And even in the midst of other people going through it, oftentimes you can still feel like, well, nobody still gets me. I feel that way all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm also a very introverted person. I'm a very, I'm very empathic. So I tend to look at life very differently from everybody else anyway. So I just the other day was lamenting like, God, I am my own little world. Like nobody gets me, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which isn't true, but that's how you feel sometimes. So I think there is a shift in how we have to look at community. Um, I think that we have to say, look, church doesn't just happen on Sundays. Um, church is the people and it happens wherever those people are, whenever those people are together. Um, and we have to start looking at it differently. We also, and I believe this 100% because I've gone through it or still am going through it. And, and I was encouraged when you were explaining your podcast to me, the idea that you, that you work with people that are atheistic or agnostic as well, mm. because I believe that sometimes that's a stop on this journey. Or yeah. maybe a stopping point it might be for some the end people. As well. But yeah, right. it's 100% a part of the But immediately sure. that's demonized. Immediately mm. that is, you've, you're apostate, you have fallen away from God. Um, when in all actuality and in all honesty, my daughter just asked me the other day, Mom, do you believe in God? And I said, today, yes. Tomorrow that may look different. I can't yeah. guarantee you anything because I no longer have that certainty in my mind. Yeah. As much as I hate that, I don't have it. Yeah. So we have to have an environment that is welcoming to people wherever they fall Mm. on that very large spectrum of deconstruction and say, look, no matter where you fall, I get it. Or somebody else gets it. They've been there. Or it doesn't matter if I get it. I just care about you. Yeah. Because that's what people want. They want to know that they're cared for and that they're okay. No, it's really really good. I I think it's it's interesting to me and I'd be really interested to see how you think this kind of, slots together because one of the things that i've observed over time is how broad the spectrum of deconstruction is like you're saying oh, you for know, sure people that are agnostic atheists, yes. got people that have moved into different religions but still hold jesus into that kind of component maybe they've moved to some eastern stuff maybe they're exploring maybe some right. islamic stuff i mean really like they are like apostate to the the conventional yes. church you know <laughs> Very um, much which so. of course is the best way to bring people back into your fold you know demonize them and hate them and push yeah. them away that's a good way to bring them in or um, threaten them with hell yeah, well, that, that might work. <laughs> um, That'll scare them. That'll bring them back. It's a big stick. Um, it is. <laughs> but one of the things that fascinates me, I, so I found this um, when um, one of the things that I, I did was I was getting all these messages from people going, do you know someone in LA? Do you know someone in Chicago? Do you know someone in London? And I was getting fed up trying to remember all the people I've talked to in time. Piece of care. <laughs> so I made a website and I was like, okay, oh, that's why awesome. don't you just put your name and your city in and it'll put you on a map and they you can message people that are there and it's great. It's a good and idea. That's part of what we're doing with our research. It's all kind of built into the same thing. Um, and I was like, dude, I've sorted it. There we go. The loneliness <laughs> in the deconstruction community, it's over. It'll be done in five minutes. Everyone just log in, sign up, message people. There'll be, you know, little house churches, or if that's not your thing, there'll be pub gatherings. There'll be people hanging out in the homes. It'll be great. In three weeks, the whole thing will be sorted. Not quite, but, you know, in, in my naivety, I did think, gosh, this will be amazing. And, you know, I see, like, um, a good example is, I think, in L.A., there's, like, 40-odd people already. And you're like, whoa, these guys are, 
they're going to be sorted to have some people that they can connect with. I know LA is a big place, but it is yeah. 45 minute drive. <laughs> our drive is worth it. You know, yeah. um, at this point, most people are willing to drive five hours to have something. Um, but what was fascinating is I had um, this young woman messaged me and she says, Hey, Phil, I'm, I'm about a year into my deconstruction and I've logged into your website and I've messaged every person in LA and I've talked to them a bit and I just can't find anyone that believes like I do. And I was like, Oh, interesting. <laughs> and, and, and if I'd thought about this a bit more intentionally, I'd be like, of course that's going to happen. Cause there's a lot of people on this spectrum that are yes. still going, yeah, but this is what deconstruction is. And right. this is what faith is now. And I'm right. And I figured it out. It's, it's very, it's still part of that very dualist. I think what you're describing is a, it's, it's, um, I don't know what word to use. It doesn't sound elitist or whatever, but it's a, it's a, different plane it's just, it's transcended the extremes of dualism i think it's probably still within the world of dualism unfortunately i don't know how much we could escape that but it, yeah. it has stepped beyond some of that dualism and gone well actually who cares right what cares is the person we can connect and the, the beliefs they'll flesh out in time and we'll just all go on our unique journeys and see what it looks like but a good portion a good percentage of this community are still going yeah but it's gotta look like that it's gotta look like this. I spoke to a guy the other week and he's like, oh, well, obviously it would have worship. And I'm like, God, kill me now. Put a gun in my <laughs> mouth too. and pull it. Like, That's enough. <laughs> I am a no, hard no. I am not a part of this community anymore. So <laughs> I don't want to be friends with any of you ever again. No, well, because our music way. even has doctrine involved. So you have to you dissect your right, music. I'm, like, I'm out, I'm out. I just can't, I can't sit in a circle with people singing Kumbaya or whatever. Yeah, it's not the same I anymore. Just, I can't, I can't. Um, and, or or you talk to someone else and they're like, well, obviously we would pray together. And I'm like, mm, ah, what's that going to look like? Do you have any idea how broad that spectrum is for people? And so many people, their concept of what God is can't even be prayed to. <laughs> you know, they might right. contemplate, they might meditate, they might, you know, find and center and find God within, but I'm not going to pray to an old guy in the sky, your prayer, mm -hmm. prayer list every week. Or So how do you see... Do you, do you almost see that they're in earlier stage? I don't know if that's an early stage or I don't know if that's just, I don't know how to describe it. In that stage of deconstruction, do you see it kind of splintering into different communities that are quite black and white still? I think that that almost happens without any way of controlling it. Like you said, we tend to be very dualistic and we tend to be very tribal. So we're looking for people that are like us. Mm. Um, and th then, like you said, and, and it's funny, you're the first person I've heard that uses the same word as me spectrum, <laughs> because I think everything is on a spectrum and yeah. this, this experience definitely is. But as I said a little bit ago, some, uh, I alluded to anyway, some people are deconstructing maybe whether they believe in hell or not, or is the Bible infallible? That's the extent of their deconstruction. And I'm not dismissing any of these, by the way. They're all important. But then you have people that go a little further and they're like, well, I need to, I need to question why God is the way he is. Mm. Why is God allowed to be violent, but I'm not? Why is God allowed to not forgive his enemies and send them to hell, but I'm supposed to forgive mine 70 times seven? There's all these different... So suddenly now you're deconstructing your vision of God. Mm. Then you go even further and we find those people that are now saying, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. Yeah. Does it make sense as a construct? But then you even go even further and you're like, now I have to reevaluate me yeah. because my entire identity is, in, is wrapped up in this label called Christian. So if I am starting to dissect what all of that means, who am I? I don't have an identity anymore. And so you have this very wide spectrum. So you're going to have people that are very comfortable here 
people that are very uncomfortable and angry or hurt over here. I don't know how you can do it to where, as you said, somebody can call 40 different people and find somebody that's like them. That means there's 40 different types of people on the spectrum somewhere. How do you identify? There has to be almost a pie in the sky idea of it. Like at some point we have to all just get past our questions and say, I get it. You're questioning different things than me, but I still accept you. Yeah. We have to get above that somehow. And I don't know, the first word that comes to mind for me in that is kingdom. Is Maybe that's what mm. the kingdom is supposed to look like, is that idea of community regardless of difference. Yeah. I think it sounds, well, sounds like a Beatles song or something. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> I mean, but honestly, you know, it sounds very pie in the sky because mm. that's not our experience on a normal basis. It, that's what we're expecting when we get to heaven. Yeah. You know, oh, someday it'll be like that. Well, what if that someday doesn't exist? Yeah. What if that is the here and the now and you're supposed to be living that way right now mm. and you're yeah. blowing it off and making it unimportant because it doesn't fit your, your per, uh, parameters for here and the now? Yeah. I don't know. I think these are really hard questions. Yeah. How, how was it for your, in your deconstruction, um, how did you navigate this trying to find community, you know, all these different elements? Like, what did that look like for you? Well, as I said, I'm very introverted. So not having to go to lunch with people was totally okay with me. Yeah. Um, I was always very uncomfortable in those circumstances. I wasn't, and I've never been a, have a girlfriend go to lunch shop together. I'm not that kind of girl either. Um, so that part was a little easier for me. Although I will say the first Sunday I wasn't in church, I couldn't sit still. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was used to being very, very, very busy. Hmm. And I suddenly wasn't anymore. And uh, so I started hiking actually every Sunday I would go hike very, very long hikes. Um, and I ended up with some friends that ended up hiking with me and we would talk through all these things together. Um, so that was part of my process with community and, and how to handle that is I had those one or two people that were on a similar road. Um, yeah. And we would, we would work through that. I also, as I said, because I couldn't get answers that I wanted, I started doing a lot of reading and a lot of studying. Um, I found relationships with a lot of people in social media Uh, I joined book reading groups. Um, I was okay with exploring any idea that was out there that I wouldn't have previously allowed myself to explore. Sure. Um, And I found a lot of value in that. So along the way, you found those relationships, you know. Now, some of them have come and some of them have gone. And I have maybe different relationships now. But it's all been through this evolution of this, you know, deconstructive process. Like, where am I at? I usually will come into contact with people that are pretty close to the same you know, where they are on that timeline as I am. Um, and, and I think that that is actually life, mm. if we're honest. Some relationships come and some relationships go. Yeah. And they change based on where we are in life. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe if we approach this process in the same way, we will find that community. We, it yeah. just isn't going to look the way we think it should, maybe. Do you think then maybe, in a sense, having church communities built around believing specific things or we all agree um in some ways are are very much tailored to stagnate growth because if i change i'm gonna have to find new people i'm gonna do you know what i mean that's a really i've not thought of that as much it makes sense i mean if you are of a certain belief you don't usually step outside of that belief 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, those relationships do become very stagnant. I even joked about that. I've wrote about that as well before the idea that um, having friendships that are built around your church attendance are lazy. Mm-hmm. It's a lazy yeah. relationship because it's basically built on the fact that you're both going to be in the same building at the same day every week. It's convenient. Exactly. But outside of that, outside of that, that way of living, you have to work very hard to maintain yeah. those relationships. You have to actually put yourself out there. And yeah. especially it, if you're it just doesn't right? just happen. Yeah. And if you're introverted, it's really a difficult process. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's been like three weeks since the salon. I guess I yeah. should probably. Wow. I should probably let somebody know where I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm married and I have kids. Check, not dead. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> most people knew where I was, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I could, I could spend a few weeks by myself and nobody would hear from me. I'd be totally fine. Mm, So yeah, it does, but it becomes much more difficult, you know, to seek out those relationships and to build on them. Like I said, I'm not somebody that likes to go out to lunch, but you know what? You want to go hike with me? I'll sit and get dirty with you all day. That's cool. Mm. And we'll have some really good relationship bonding conversations. We'll talk about God. I mean, the ladies that I used to hike with, they told me this is church for me now. This is it. You know, and one of them had no belief in God or Jesus at all. She's like, I don't want anything to do with Christians, but she would talk with me, Mm. you know, and she would ask me questions. And she actually told me at one point, you are, you are one of only two people that I will have these kind of conversations with because I don't like anybody else that identifies that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm very honored by that, but you know, I mean, that's sad. It's a very sad commentary. Crushing. Yeah. It's very uh, indicative of who Christianity are publicly to most people. Uh, well, it kind of shocked me because she actually spent a lot of time with me in my really, really angry phase. So she got a lot of the, I don't like God right now. I think he's kind That's of an very- ass. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I I really went through, you know, my very, very angry phase. So she was on the front line for that. So I was very impressed that she still wanted to have any kind of conversation about mm. God at all. So, yeah. uh, but That's you never funny. know what's going to work for somebody. You don't. You don't. Let's let's go back to grief because I I feel like this okay. is a fascinating world that you this is this is your expertise right this is this uh, is what you're expertise. studying or looking at <laughs> this is this is what you are immersing your world in a little my bit, area of interest um, yeah absolutely an area of interest is a beautiful area to be ex- yes. an expert in though really um, so for you you said this has fleshed out a lot of anger a lot of those kind of early stages of grief. Um, how talk to me about what your uh, what your doctorate um, thesis is, is generally speaking, or uh, can you go into well, that a bit, or, or is well, that this this was my doctoral thesis? I don't know okay. that it still will be because, you like I said, I had it might, and, and I had an advisor already that said she was very interested in it. Though she actually offered to be my chair for me when I get okay. to that point, she said, "I think this is a, a great." conversation. I think this is a great place for you to go, but you're going to have to narrow it down. So again, I'll have Mm, to work on that. So, um, but as it pertains to what I've written about already and what I talk about often with people, um, grief is, it's difficult. And I know that makes it seem such a, you know, weird little way of saying it. I don't know that that's strong enough Mm. because, but then grief is subjective. Yeah. It hits each person differently, which is why it really worked for me in the subject matter as I was thinking about it from a dissertation view is uh, deconstruction is very subjective. Each one of us will experience that differently. So it makes sense to me that the two go together because they both have so many um, elements or emotions that go together 
And, and one of the things that I did write about in the book is, and I am very snarky person. So I wrote about it kind of from a snarky position, but, you know, I've come across people who are all bubbly and light, you know, and they're like, one day I just woke up and God was a good God. And I don't know, I just can't go back to women. And um, yes, <laughs> no, I don't, you know, but they annoy either. me. <laughs> they annoy me because that was not my, I mean, no. that was not my experience. Um, those people are going to grieve very differently. Mm. And I liken that to the idea of if I have a grandparent who I've had a beautiful relationship with my entire life and they grow to a very old age and they pass away peacefully, I'm going to grieve that person, but it's not going to be with very much anger. There might be some mm. anger, but it's going to be a very different grief than it would be if a loved one were murdered or killed in an auto accident. And I had to wrestle with the ramifications of life without that person. That would be a very different grief. Absolutely. So however you enter this process of deconstruction is going to play heavily into how you grieve through this process. Mm. And, and so, like I said, some people wake up and God is a good God all of a sudden, and they yeah. don't understand what all the hullabaloo is about. And maybe you should just stop being bitter and angry as though I can just turn that off. Mm. And I think that's why I find that annoying because you, you tend to hear that from people that have that very sunny disposition. Well, I just don't understand why, why do you have to be angry? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Why aren't you? <laughs> it's so fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. So again, everybody's going to go through this very differently. And so that was my contention was that's why I was able to apply it to a grief cycle because it made sense. The, the grieving was different. The deconstruction was different. It was specific to the person. And there, there are many varied experiences mm. and how they got there. So it, it's such a big, such a big picture. It's almost indescribable. Yeah. And and that's another reason I think people have a very hard time finding one another is because they're so locked into their own little process that's happening and what they're experiencing yeah. that it's hard to connect with somebody that isn't experiencing that exact same thing. Hmm. You know, you, yeah. if I'm a happy go lucky person in my deconstruction and that person's angry, I'm probably not going to want to spend time with them. No, sure. That makes sense. And if I'm angry, I don't need Miss Mary Sunshine over here trying to tell me life's Make okay me when it doesn't yeah. feel like it is. <laughs> sure. So I don't yeah. know. It, it's so, such a very tell me thing. tell me a bit about grief because I have very little um, understanding of grief as it's perceived today. But I know like the the old model and it might be still right. the current model was very much it is. You know, five yeah. stages of grief and <laughs> yes. you, you can't really skip them. You gotta go through them to some degree. Is that still largely held or? I mean, the five cycles of grief, yes, that's still definitely the definition of, of the grieving process. Sure. Um, I think it's a mistake, though, to look at that as though it's on some linear progression. Right. Um, you know, you don't you don't hit each one of those for in order or in, and for a specific period of time. And then suddenly you're at nirvana or acceptance yeah. and life goes on. It doesn't work that way. And that's one of the things that I think has been very difficult in this process for me is I have worked through a lot of anger and depression over a lot of things. And then out of nowhere, it'll show up again. Mm. And I'll think I've already dealt with this. Well, I have, but now I have to deal with it from the new perspective I have on it. Mm. And that's going to be a continual thing. Um, so I think that the, a lot of people feel that way. I, I have come across people that are very set on their ideas of grief. Um, for example, if they know somebody that has had a spouse die or something or a family member, mm. there, there's this deep sympathy for them for a long time. And then suddenly there's almost an annoyance. Like, why aren't you done with this yet? Yeah. As though it can be planned out <laughs> and put on the calendar. Okay, today's the lucky day. I'm done. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so 
I think we have to be very patient with ourselves and with others as we're going through this, because on any given day, they may be in the middle of bargaining again, or maybe now they're in depression or suddenly they're angry. Mm. Even after we've hit the almighty acceptance, we're still going to visit those again Yeah. based on things that happen. And I don't like the word trigger, but that's pretty much the only word that <laughs> most people sure, recognize. Yeah. So, but like a birthday comes around, you know, yes. something, you know, you see that thing or you smell that smell right. or whatever. And you go, oh, it makes right. you think of this person. And, you, and you're like, wait, why? All yeah. over again. All sorts of things. Yeah. All over um, again. Oh, and the same yeah. applies to this process. So yeah, the grief process is still pretty much what it's always been, you know, defined as. But I think the problem has been the perception that most people have had of it. Like it's a very organized, ordered mm. process. And that's not true. It's messy. Yeah. And it's ugly and it's emotional and, you know. Yeah. So how do you even go about framing how to look at this and how to tackle it? Like, because it does feel like such a broad world. Well, I talked in the book I wrote, I talked a lot about a lot of different psychological processes that go into how we change our mind. Um, the reasons that we do, the maybe the reasons that we didn't for a long time. Um, but when I got to grief, I was kind of stru- stuck there as well from that perspective. Like, mm. how do you, how do you discuss this? Yeah, where do you even begin? So yeah, so it becomes it, it was something that at the beginning I discussed grief in a very macro way. This is this is the research. This is the studies on grief. This is this is the definitions and everything. But as it got into the individual tenets of the cycle itself, I tended to go back to stories that people had told me right. and use their, their words as examples of mm. where the, how they felt in that moment. Um, I have a lot of writing from of myself over the last seven years. And I actually pulled a lot of that, that, Oh, this fits here. This, I remember this, it goes sure. here. And so I didn't really define each one of those stages per se. I might've given a little overview of it, but I didn't try to say, okay, this is how you feel in this stage because that's not my place. I tried to give examples of people that were in those phases and what they were experiencing. Um, So, so like I said, more anecdotal than definitely not scholarly. Um, Not a study related thing at all. This is more experience related. Yeah. Or it's certainly at least more qualitative than uh, quantitative at least. Right. Um, Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, that might be some sort of level of approach for a lot of people is, oh, crap, we're going to have to look at this qualitatively because yeah. it's just too, it's how too do you broad. put numbers on this? Yes, um, and I don't know that you can because even if somebody can identify and say, yeah, um, oh, yeah, I spent the majority of my time in the anger phase of grief. Well, what does their anger look like? Now we have to start deconstructing terms, which, of course, is the original yeah. definition of deconstruction. It's about unity yeah. of text. How do we define what we're saying so that everybody understands it from the same perspective? Um, I don't know that we can, we try to use language. I mean, uh, Oh, what was his name? His name just went out of my head. Um, the gentleman that coined the term deconstruction, the original, anyway, it'll come to me later. I'm positive. Uh, but, but he even said, he said, this is about unity of text, but we use certain terms that we use because they're the best terms that we have in the moment. We don't have another term. So as we're talking about this, I'm, I may be feeling anger but my anger may be different than yours, but it's the only word I have to describe what I'm feeling. Mm, Yeah. So the problem with that though, is when you hear the word anger, you're going to understand it from your perspective, not mine. So it may just be off a little bit. So there is no way to line this up 100%. Yeah. And that's the beauty of being so individual, each person being so individual and unique. 
So we can we can only explain experiences. We can't really, you know, quantify. Yeah. Oh, you fit in this box, and you. Fit. <laughs> we can't do that, you know. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, too many of us are trying to do that. And I think that I think that's probably one of the things that frustrates me about the whole idea of reconstructing. Reconstructing is by whose terms? <laughs> yeah. Well, th this <laughs> is it. Uh, at some point, someone has to. Uh, again within their own world of dualism go oh this is right this is wrong this is good mm -hmm. this is bad yes. we're moralizing yes. we're drawing ethical lines or whatever it might be um and it does it becomes problematic and maybe if you look at someone that loses a family member maybe and maybe they have you know i i have a very close person to me that um lost someone uh we both mutually lost someone and i process that so healthily, uh, you know, but relatively I'm, I'm okay. I, I really am. Like I've gone through that right. and I'm like, yeah. And actually I can think about that. I can think about that time watching a person die and, and think fondly of that time and actually find right. it as a very beautiful experience in, in my memory and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the other person has full blown PTSD over it. Yes. Um, and it was largely down to, um, they had come from a charismatic background. They had everyone, they were praying for healing and it was going to happen. Right. And right to the last moment, we, we'd for the last months, two months been told by, all right, she's got like five weeks. Okay. She's yeah. got three weeks. Okay. It's tomorrow. Like, you know, we knew this was coming. We come to terms with the other, this person hadn't been able to. So on some level, society then looks at someone that's got some sort of like trauma, whatever, and goes, okay, that's bad. Most of us would go, that's not a good thing to have to suffer or experience. Right. I, I would, I would take a step back and go, but anyway, uh, but <laughs> no one wants to, no one signs up for it, you know? Right. Um, and, and so we, but we do, we decide, okay, so that's not good. So we'll walk you through therapy or whatever. We'll try and get you through your PTSD so that, and, and ultimately through this grief to be in a healthy place, just like mm. Phil, right? Because I'm in such a healthy place. And of course, <laughs> I'm still going to have my waves that hit me every now and again. And sometimes yes. they're higher, sometimes they're lower and they'll come more frequently or less frequently, but I'll still be hit with grief. That's how it works. Um, but it does feel on some level that in society, we can look at someone that's lost a loved one or something like that and go, oh, that feels unhealthy. That feels healthy. We still do that to some degree, but I guess because it's more of a baseline model across the board, mm -hmm. you know, some of these things are quite, is the death of a loved one ever simple? But you understand what I'm saying right. and that like, we all do this. It happens right. to everyone. We know what it is like for a child to lose their parent on some level we can kind of go, okay, these are some of the things they go through and this is how right. they often deal with it. And that's how Yeah, there's a lot of the same more. markers. Yeah. But when you look at something like deconstruction and you're going, oh, this person has redefined their version of hell. They got kicked out by their church, but they joined a progressive church and that's okay. Or they started a house church where they're really angry about their last church, but they've got a few friends and they all get together and get <laughs> angry or whatever, right? But it's, it's a right. small loss. It's seen all of those. And, <laughs> and, then, and then you get someone that's like, oh my gosh, they've deconstructed. They don't even have a God anymore. They are like, like you're saying, they're they're now their ego, right? That brain that's keeping you safe is now going, oh shit, what did I open? Right. This Pandora <laughs> box, because now I'm yes. under fire. Now yes. I might be the problem, right? And so now right. we're starting to question our ego. Who are we? What what even am I? Like, you know, that's terrifying. These are yes. like such different experiences. And yet grief is subjective and it's like, right. you know, the child that falls over and bangs its knee is the worst pain it's ever experienced. That's just as bad as me getting shot, maybe perhaps right. in how I perceive pain. It's perspective. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'm just, I'm fascinated by this world of such a broad spectrum. Yeah. Um, and frightened by it, to be honest. I but, am anyway. But on because level, I don't know how, how am I going to react or how, how do I deal with each person? Because I don't know that I can completely understand. Yeah. 
I don't know, that frightens me on some level because I want to be that kind of person that's there for other people, but I don't know that I can ever be that completely. Yeah. It's, not without insinuating that maybe something I know is what they should know. And yeah, that's not no, right. Exactly. Which is, <laughs> yeah, you're stepping into, I'm the reconstructing person. Let me reconstruct for you. Um, yes. <laughs> which, let's be honest, the, the reason most of our deconstruct is because we were told what to believe, right? So I like, don't Pretty dare much. come here. Um, that's one of the number one problems with people who want to reconstruct is they're going, hey, I'm happy to be a new person in your life that will tell you what to believe. Yes. But I guess, I guess my point is, um, it feels like from externally observing this world of grief and how people perceive it, that there's at least some level of we go, okay, we don't define the timeline. We don't define what it looks like for you. But we do on some level as a society go, you can get through this. And, we, and you should on some level come to a place right. on the other side where it's, it's healthy, it's wholesome. And right. even your grief is actually almost a positive thing now as opposed to yes. a negative or whatever that looks like. Right. Is it, do we... Is that the case? Is that what people observe, like maybe from a more um, a therapy background or things? Is that actually how we look? We do go, oh, well, people hopefully will get through this. And if so, either yes or no, are we being presumptuous looking at people that are deconstructing going, you should get through this? Or, or should we be looking at it going, yeah, okay, it's fine to be angry. It's fine to be in denial. It's fine to be all these things. But we should, there should be a roadmap for you. There should be ways for us to help you move and navigate through these things, right? If you're angry, it's probably rooted in some pain. Let me talk to you about how your pastor rejected you and let's process some of it. Like that, that feels on some level, maybe it is a good thing, right? As dualistic as that is. Like, I, mean, I get it. I, I, think, I think that the intent is good. I think maybe it gets lost in the translation. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is, do I think that people should come to a place where they're comfortable living again? Yes, I do. However, it's not my place to tell them what that looks like. Yeah. And I think um, I've read probably three different books in the last couple of weeks on a reconstructive process. I just got another one today. I haven't read it yet. Um, and, and I struggle with them when I read them because it almost comes off as a task list. Yeah. Um, it, just do these things, just do these things. And then you'll look the way I think you should look. That's how it comes across to me. But that's not my place. My place, even if I'm talking from the position of being a therapist or I'm a life coach as well, if, if I'm talking about from that perspective, my, my job is to not fix you. That's not my job. My job is to provide the space for you to work through what you need to work through yeah. and to provide support for that. So if we're talking about deconstruction, and I asked somebody this the other day, I said, why is it that we, de we delineate between the two? deconstruction, reconstruction. What if my deconstruction results in my reconstruction? Yeah. And what I mean by that is what if I get to the end of asking all my questions and I go, this is where I need to be. And it yeah. doesn't look anything like I've built something again, or I've constructed a new belief. What if this is just where I am and I'm happy there? Yeah. The problem is other people aren't going to understand that. And so they want to impose their thoughts or their will on that process, but that's not mm. your right. Yeah. You, if you're truly being something for that person, if you're being a support system or God forbid you're being a therapist, you're, you're, it's not your job to make sure that they have reached a point where you think they're better. It's yeah. your job to provide the space so they reach a point where they think they're better. Yeah. And, and I think that's what this comes down to as well. I, I have struggled through a lot of emotional upheaval through this entire process. I went through PTSD, uh, a period of PTSD like behavior. Mm. Um, I had, generalized anxiety up the yin yang and I still do <laughs> um, 
uh, I dealt with depression long before this, and that just was exacerbated through this process. Mm. Um, you know, terrible fits of anger, all kinds of stuff that happened during this. I finally am at a place where the majority of the time I feel okay. Yeah. I don't want somebody to come along and say, okay, well, now you have to decide what Next you believe step. about God. I don't want to talk about what I believe about God because right mm. now I'm not sure God is there. And that's where I am right now. But I will say this, I'm going to leave it open to say, and I may change my mind. Sure. Because more than likely I will. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's a tough subject. I, like I mentioned earlier, I talked to my daughter about this the other day because my daughter, of course, went through a very similar process to mine and she's half my age. And, and I, we were going through it and talking about, she called me and she's very upset about something. And we were talking it through. And that's when she asked me, do you believe in God? Mm. And I said, do you? And she said, no. Well, as a mother, especially from my Christian background, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that momentary sense of panic. And then I thought, no, 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 this is her process. And I said, okay, honey, that's, that's fine. Um, she goes, I don't think I'll ever believe in God again. I said, yeah, I can see how it feels like that. I said, but what I would suggest to you is be open to the fact that you can change your mind and that's okay. Mm. You know, and, yeah. and she said, things are starting to feel more normal because they do after a while. It, yeah. it, but that timeline, I never thought seven years. If somebody had told me seven years when I first started going through this, I'd, been, I'd have shot myself. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Skip it. I don't need seven yeah. years of this crap. You know? yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, looking back, there's been a lot of value in that entire yeah, process, absolutely. but it doesn't yeah. feel like it all the way through. So to tell somebody else when their journey is over or how the end of their journey should look, that is, mm. that's pretty egotistical in all honesty. Yeah. yeah. And that doesn't mean that I don't think there's not value in those books on reconstruction. I, yeah. I do think there's probably valuable things there. I just think that when you begin to set an expectation that everybody should reconstruct to the point where you are you are now once again, religious. Yeah. That's what that is. It's religious. Absolutely. And, and I know that's a good default for a lot of people because that's what we're used to, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that's the healthiest default. No, I just had, um, so I'm sorry. I've got something in my eye and it is itching oh, like crazy. <laughs> um, but, uh, I just had, um, two people recently on the podcast that are fascinating people, um, who focus on reconstruction in some ways. And uh, one of them was Keith Giles. I don't know oh, I know Keith. He's a very good and, friend. Yeah, he's great. I, got, I I had nothing about him. I, we've been probably friends on Facebook for forever, but I never see his stuff for, I think, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Um, that's because I don't go on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I knew nothing about him going in and we ended up talking for like three hours and I was like, gosh, I could keep going. Like, you know, like, yeah, he's a good guy. Like a, a marathon. Um, but one of the things I grilled him hard about was his his program of reconstruction. He's got like a reconstruction course, and I was class, like, yeah. <laughs> "I'm going to grill you because I don't believe in this." Um, I I do believe that we are constantly rebuilding as as sure. we deconstruct. It's just how we do things, right? I mean, even if you tear down the house and go, "Oh sh- shoot, I need somewhere to sleep," I'll put a tent up. That's in some way, shape, or form some form of construction to go into. True. Um, True. You might go. I'm probably not going to keep the tent. I think I'll build something else. <laughs> that might do. That might come down at tomorrow. Uh, but it's it's some form, right? We're constantly right. building as we as we deconstruct and and changing. And most beliefs that we throw out are temporarily at least replaced with some other beliefs. Um, right. So, but I, I the big thing I wanted to grill him on was how how prescriptive are you? Like, and I think that was right. it was really interesting hearing his perspective on how he does things, how he tries not to be prospect, uh, prescriptive, and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. The other person I just had was um, uh, a therapist, Mark Karras. He's got. A book I know Mark. I just got his It'll book be- today. Oh yeah, really? Okay, yeah. I, he gave me an advanced copy like a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "Dude, I want to get this guy on the podcast." Um, and so I managed to kind of condense the book into three hours for people. 
send but, it to me. He literally just sent me a message today. Do you want a copy of my book? And I was like, yes. Oh, so he awesome. sent me a PDF copy of it today. Uh, and again, so. I had never heard of Mark. I am just yeah. really bad at knowing who's We have the same who. publisher. That's, um, well, that's ah, how okay, I know we're go. all in the same publisher. So. Yeah, there you go. Um, and But again, I was, I was like, whoa, this is, I like how he's not too prescriptive. My wording of my endorsement was very careful. Um, yes. It was, this is the best book I've come across so far <laughs> on this topic of how to reconstruct. Um, but I still grilled him like crazy. I'm like, okay, how do you go? Because you do still go and, and you're trying to avoid um, theological topics in your reconstruction. And, right. I, and gosh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> for so sure. You're still going, okay, to reconstruct, you should focus on this component of your mental health, this component of, you know, your identity, maybe some of this about your relationships. Like, and I'm like, I would largely agree. Those are all very good metrics for lifestyle, quality of life, internal happiness. But on some level, you're still being very prescriptive, right? There's still this danger. I don't know that we can avoid that. It's, it's such a fascinating dynamic because we want to help people, right? And you yes, do of course. want to help people. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, and then when you've got such a broad thing, how do you avoid being prescriptive? But it's just, it's fascinating that, you know, like, um, keep coming across these people that are going, I want to help people reconstruct. I'm not allowed to be prescriptive. How do I do that? Like, yeah. it fascinates I me. I, I don't know that you can. I don't, in I, all I just avoid it. <laughs> as soon as you bring up the subject matter, you are suggesting that there is a process. Yeah. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah, and, and I don't know how you get around that. Um, uh, yeah, I know both of them very well. I think you just That's talked. Awesome. I think you just talked with another friend of mine too, Matthew DeStefano. Oh yeah, I talked to him a while back. Yeah, he's yeah. He's like one of my he's very, like very best friends. Oh, awesome. Um, we we're actually so writing a book people. together right now. So oh, and, and he is prolific. He just bashes them out. He's awesome. Oh. Well, yeah, and I hit Keith both. I'm constantly like, oh, you guys gosh. are freaking overachievers. You're making the rest of us feel bad. <laughs> I can't be bothered. I, I spend my whole life talking with people day in, day out. And the last thing I want to do when I stop is go, oh, I'll write a book. Like, you write a like book. I want to go hang well, out actually, my wife. For, that's <laughs> what's really week. cool about the book Matt and I are writing. We're, we're doing it just like this. We're having Skype sessions and we're, it's a conversation. Right. And then he's transcribing. And I'm like, this is the way you write a book. That's not saying good. This is it. <laughs> yeah. Conversational um, books. I do like, I like Ken Wilber writes a lot of his books like that. Yeah. And, um, what was it? Uh, Power of Myth was a great book. Yes. Done conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It works. It yeah. Works. I like, I, I'm at, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but I really liked the process, but he and I are spending a lot of time because we're actually working and talking through his deconstruction. Right. And okay. so that's what the whole conversation is about. So it's, and so he and I have been having a lot of conversations lately about the whole idea of reconstruction. So he knows kind of how I feel about that as well. Mm. Um, and it, you know, like I said, as soon as you, as soon as you use the word, I think that you've set up the premise that there is a process to that as well. Yeah. Um, and I think we have to do, be very careful. I don't think that's avoidable, but I think we have to be very careful that we don't have expectations for what somebody else's reconstruction looks like yeah. or where it should end. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't, it shouldn't look just like ours. Yeah. It just how, how do you go about defining deconstruction? Because this is something I'm fast. Because my website is like it's, it's the deconstruction network. I, mm -hmm. I picked an name because I don't really even care about the word deconstruction. I'm like whatever. You call yourself a nomad, a deconstruction. It's become it's so passe now. None. I don't care. But like whatever. If you feel like you're going through something and need community, that's all I care about, right? right. And if you're right. going through whatever that looks like, I'd love to do research on you. Basically, right. I'm like please come be a guinea pig. Um, exactly. But 
but one of the things and one of the things my researchers in, in England are hitting me over and over about is like, dude, you've got to define deconstruction. I'm like, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the research, though. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's right. a chicken and egg scenario in a sense, yeah. because this is such a vague world. It's such a broad spectrum. How do I define it? And so I'm, I'm intrigued. How do you how do you uh, define that when people go, well, what's what's someone deconstructing or what is deconstruction? What 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 do you respond? No, I think to? I think I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure how you define that because, as I said, I mean, going back to the original definition of that word, it's about how we understand language, mm. and and so this has become a word that has become synonymous with some religious process, and that's not true because you don't have to be religious at all to deconstruct something. Yeah. Um, a lot of us are deconstructing politics, you know, or, or yeah. whatever we're, we're changing. And basically I think it comes down to, if I had words that they would be, I think the best words I could use were the process of changing your mind. Mm. Um, and, and that's kind of where I centered in what I wrote, because there's so much of a psychological process that keeps us from changing our mind that suggests yeah. how we should change our mind. And then what eventually allows us to change our minds. Um, that I think that that becomes to me, the broadest definition of deconstruction yeah. is the process of changing my mind. Yeah. Um, but that is a huge, I mean, there's no human on the planet that isn't doing that on some level exactly. by the microsecond, right. <laughs> not quite, but like, you know, we're right. constantly filtering in and slowly shifting in our beliefs or yes. ideas and concepts. And, and so it does become very complex because obviously for example, my, say my network, say I go, okay, so everyone's changing your minds, come on and join. Good God, are you going to find it hard to LA now? You know, like it's going to be a real hellhole for now. Right. Um, so you have to get smaller in your questions. Right, then, so you I have think. to then niche it down even right. more. You have to go, um, okay, everybody that's deconstructing their ideas of hell, mm. meet here. <laughs> everybody that's deconstructing their idea of Jesus, yeah. meet here. So it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's at least on a spiritual, at least spiritually, or yes, um, and then it's so to what degree, and, and then you've got those dynamics as well. Because apart from my, my wife's grandmother, I once talked to her, I think she's about 78 or so, and, and I was like, So uh, she's she asked me what I did, and I was like, Oh, she is very conservative, very oh boy. conventional <laughs> Christian. Um, and I'm, I'm so I was like, How do I? I was like, you, you know, how like in your life when you grow, you change your mind about God, you, He shows up and He's just better than you thought and you have to change your mind or something like that and she's like no god's exactly the same as the day i got saved when i was 14 god was does like, not change he's immutable interesting <laughs> uh, i'm like but we change right and she's like not in this and i'm like oh. all right i just moved quickly on you know I'm yeah, like, bail on this one hard <laughs> um, but but what's interesting is most people recognize that's that's not the case and most people would say that their faith has changed and evolved um and yet again a lot of these people are still very far from being in a place where they want to be around. It's a bit like a more extreme version of what I'm saying of like, well, if you just change your view on hell, you might still really want to be around some black and white people. Um, you just might want something a bit more progressive, maybe like someone, something like the progressive church is a good example of what I would call like tiptoeing into progression, uh, into right. construction in a sense, because it's like, well, we're not happy with homophobia and like how right. people, <laughs> minorities are treated, you know, slavery, uh, you know, racism, probably more, uh, applicable in, in, in the US. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hell, whatever, but we're still very kind of black and white that there is a God and, you know, right. and, and so like, that's fine. But those people that aren't even there and, and, and so like, you've got all these different elements and and it does really fast. I, I'm just constantly going, trying to please my researchers going, I don't know how to define this for you. Um, well, again, because now think of, think of it on this level. It sounds as though 
and I may be wrong, but it sounds as though your researchers are looking for certainty as well yeah. in a process where there isn't any certainty. Mm. And, and unfortunately, and you, you said something a minute ago that, that spurred that thought. Um, I think for many people, we've been raised on the idea that our faith means we're certain. Yeah. And we've equated the two terms as though they're synonymous and they're not. Yeah. Faith is about mystery. Faith yeah. is about the unknown. And the opposite of, of faith is, is certainty. Mm. They are 100% opposite of one another. And we always have this belief that the opposite of faith is doubt. It's not true. Yeah. Doubt is included in faith because yeah. there's that element of the unknown. It's a key component um, in some ways. Yes. So you have... So in trying to do research, what you're trying to do is come to a conclusion, which mm -hmm. is asking for some measure of certainty. Oh, I am a data a subject person. I'm so excited, but I'm going to be sorely disappointed, I know. <laughs> More than likely, yeah. because the reality is we can't be 100% certain about any yeah. of this. I mean, that's science in general. That's why science yeah. is always changing, because it, it's a constant what-if scenario. Yeah. And let's play it out to see if it works or not. Oh, it didn't work, so now let's have a new what-if. Yeah. Um, so again, this is all, I mean, I think this is something people have done for a long, long time, I think what you're seeing right now is so many people are doing it very broadly and, and it's much more open. Mm. And so now we've ascribed a term to it. And so now, because we are very dualistic in our minds, we have to have, we have to have it defined yeah. well for us instead of yeah. saying, this is some nebulous process that we just go through and I don't know what happens at the end of it. Yeah. You that's know, actually that's what the reality. I'm hoping to do in the research is, is for me, I think it's too black and white. It's too written off. It's too defined by the wrong people. I, um, and what I want to do is go, huh, look, like we just put out one of our first pieces of data the other day and it was talking about church attendance. And I was like, look, 24% of people that are deconstructing are in church right now. Wow. And okay. That's good to church. know. And, and you go, so they, they're not de-churched. There's mm -hmm. a lot of them are, but they're not necessarily right. so just on a and we've not gone into that that's a whole nother level of like what does that look like but right but it's just like this isn't what you think you know so the the narrative is oh deconstruction they're just looking for an excuse not to go to church they're right. just backslidden yeah. they just don't care about church or they don't like church or they're angry at church and it's like mm, not a good portion not all of them apparently <laughs> now who knows maybe 24 percent of population are in church and they all hate church i don't know i'm not, I'm not asked that. but We'll look at that uh, when the bridge crosses. But, but my goal is to kind of like try and debunk some of the these kind of myths, these kind of right. like throwaway uh, dismissals, you know, like, oh, they never really believed anyway. And it's like, you are aware that it's actually the most involved and the most spiritually mature Absolutely in the church right. that construct. That's right. Yes. Um, I'd love to get more clear cut data on that, but it's, mm -hmm. it's fairly evident from the little that we have kind of like mm -hmm. out there. Um, well, I think church refugees made that contention as well. Hugely, right? They that were, it was like, the ones crap. that were These most were really involved. involved. Yes, yeah. that are suddenly making the shift, mm. um, which was fascinating in all yeah. honesty. But well, because I understood it. Have that narrative. If not, yeah. we if we don't necessarily if we haven't observed it ourselves, we've at least heard it over right. and over and over right. from within this church. And then when we leave, we're hearing it about ourselves and then we were starting to doubt ourselves. So um, <laughs> I'm intrigued. So you mentioned um, some PTSD components to grief potentially. Um, what do you think of religious trauma syndrome? You know, Mar Marlene Winnell's kind of component of PTSD. I think it's, I think it's very valid. Um, hmm. A lot of people, of course, depending upon the kind of abuse that you're talking about or the trauma involved are going to, uh, you know, that again is something else that's subjective in its definition, because as I said, some people um, trauma is being yelled at by the pastor and for others, it's being, you know, molested and 
by a Roman priest. You know, yeah. I mean, it's very large spectrum, spectrum there as well. Yeah, more spectrum. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a, va a validity to that, though, for sure, because it is having a trauma effect on people based on something that happened to them within this religious construct. Hmm. And I mean, we could probably identify other constructs in which there's some kind of trauma associated, but this one is specific to a place where you're supposed to be able to find healing yeah. and God and love and all of these things. And of course, and I'm sure you know this right now, the DSM doesn't have any, any correlation to religious abuse at the moment. Um, I hope they change that. I, I would love to be able to help change that because I think it's so very real. Yeah. Um, the closest that they come in the, in the uh, DSM is complex PTSD because yeah. it's, it's trauma that is occurring repeatedly and it's creating this trauma effect or, you know, this um, abusive effect in people and they're acting out from it emotionally. Um, and that's then, so when you see this acting out, so let's, let's go back to an example of maybe a child that's being sexually molested. Um, not necessarily in church, but I just mean in general. Sure, in general. Right. There's a period where you're going to see certain behavior from that child. That's going to be a clue. You may not know exactly what's happening, but we've identified markers that go along with that occurrence. Um, and, and they're acting out or whatever. When that happens in church, what we get is the devil is blamed for it. Mm -hmm. There's a scapegoating process that goes on as opposed to finding out what's really happening to this person because it couldn't possibly be our process or our, you know, our little religious bubble. It couldn't be that. Well, what we find and what more, pe more and more people are saying now and the frustration they feel, because I feel it as well, is more and more you're finding out that bubble is being broken and you are seeing the abuse has happened from inside. Um, the, the, the affairs, the sexual assault, the, you know, affairs all kinds of things happening within the church construct. And it's not to blame anymore outside. It's to blame right there. And, but yet we still, and so instead of concentrating on the people that are suffering from that, we're concentrating on the event itself. And we're forgetting that all these people are having a trauma experience yeah. because of what they've, what they've gone through in this process. And so I think it's very, 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 very valid. Yeah. Um, do you think I hope they do a lot more work. Yeah. Do you think there is an important need to differentiate between like, you know, CPTSD to RTS, you know, like having that definition in there and going, no, we need to have more specific look at the religious components of it. Like, cause that, I, I, Marley, she's very like on that kind of, uh, yeah. I'm trying to get her on the podcast, but that, <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> she's very, very, very anti anything that looks religious and, and I cater to all. So I, I don't know if she'll come on or not, but who knows? Um, I think she's gone off to, I think, listen to some of her. I don't know what it's just. Say, mm. Give me a lift. Give me a link and I'll, I'll you know, <laughs> I've not heard for a week and a half. So, uh, oh, well, just keep <laughs> um, at her. <laughs> but, uh, but she is hammering that hard of like, no, we really need this within the community. There needs to be education on yeah. some of these components of how churches deal with that. You know, like what you're saying. Like, I 100% agree. Covered up. Because to me that's that's hugely different and as, as a therapist if you're not it's something i find really hard i'm constantly recommending people find a therapist um because not everyone might need that and certainly not everyone has you know rts or ptsd coming right. out of this process right. but talking to hundreds of people a week i go through a fair few you come week. across it um and, and so i'm constantly going look you, you need to talk to a therapist but and then well, what should I look for? You know, do I look for CBT? Do I look for DPT? And I was talking to Mark Karras about different disciplines that might be helpful, but above and beyond everything, I'm like, you need someone that understands this dynamic because right. I don't know how 
equipped a lot of people are to deal with the complexities of what's going on and the narratives and the, and the inner voices and the fact that even the inner voices to you mean a whole host of different things that exactly. a lot of people don't even think, you know. And so we come back so to the complex. terminology involved mm-hmm. and the belief system that's behind it because the problem with it is here, you can read in the DSM, you'll find that there are different, uh, different um, descriptions in there. A lot of times, a lot of the therapy that is suggested for different disorders and stuff is religious in nature. Mm-hmm. And I actually asked an instructor that one time in a paper that I wrote, I said, what if the, what if the problem though is oh, religion? religion. Yeah. You, you can't use God as a fix if God is the issue. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. And so there has to be some delineation between the two to say, look, maybe complex PTSD that comes from, you know, violence or something like that. And I don't mean to dismiss that at all, but you know, you witness something horrible happening or, or you continue, there's child abuse, anything, anything yeah. like that, then maybe God is an answer in that situation. Absolutely. Maybe a, a religious intervention. Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. But in this situation, that's not true. And here's part of our problem as it pertains to like therapy and stuff. Because I know I had therapy suggested to me, but the people that they gave me um, recommendations to go see were pastors that didn't have training Such in psychology. Yeah. That's a not huge issue. Licensed. Yeah, exactly. They're a pastor. So they get away with dispensing that kind of advice legally. But ethically, I think that's wrong because they don't have the training or the background in that area to make that. What they, they do is turn it into something spiritual. Yeah. Right. So now it becomes something spiritual. Well, the problem with that is it's too easy to put some the problem outside of ourselves and say, well, you're being, you know, chased by the devil or, you know, the devil made you do it or whatever. Instead of bringing the responsibility back and saying, hold on, what is actually happening here? Where are you responsible? Where are other people in your life responsible? Let's fix this here in you. Let's work on you instead of bringing this, you know, this religious element into it. So there's all this interaction between religion and trauma that maybe shouldn't be. So there should be some form of delineation between that and a different conversation had. So I would 100% agree that yeah. she's on the right track. Like that has to be a separate conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Most of the time. It's certainly, I mean, certainly pastors. I mean, that's because they, they, even the agenda component to that is terrifying. Yes. I mean, even someone like marriage therapy, I always say, look, go find a licensed person because yes. the truth is a pastor, will, it, their theology, everything is do not get divorced. Well, what if, what if you're getting abused? What if, you know, like, right. what if there's more complexities? Or what if right. it's a really crap match and the best thing in the world will be getting divorced? Thank God, let's get out of here. Let's look to build something healthier. That, I, that's not on the table for most pastors. And so, well, okay, but go even a step further. What if it's something that you have a struggle with in the sexual realm? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you've been told to be pure your entire life until you get married. And now you're supposed to magically turn on a button that everything works sexually yep. and it doesn't. So now you have to go talk to a man who told you to stay pure your whole life and have yep. him try and help you. That doesn't work. Who you probably have to is see somebody specifically repressed that. because of his logical frameworks and stuff as well. Yeah, exactly. There's all kinds of issues here that it's so not complex. pertinent for that person to be involved yeah. in, in helping you figure that out Yeah, because he's not, he's not equipped to do that. Yeah. So that's a, that's a very big pet peeve of mine as I, well. I find <laughs> it interesting. So a lot of people, cause on one side, talking to Mark was fascinating because he was saying on one side, actually sending someone to a Christian therapist that's licensed that understands the elements of, you know, okay. not allowing their personal ethics to bleed in. Right is the best thing in a sense because they actually understand the world you're coming from although they I might really <laughs> struggle to frame it as right. a toxic thing or a negative thing so that might be hard for them but actually something that i've come across a lot in talking with people is 
they've gone to Christian therapists and that therapist has struggled to not believe if, if right. they're if they're a Christian therapist quote unquote meaning maybe quite conventional beliefs quite uh you know they're going to really struggle to understand what you're describing as a traumatic thing because to them that's just good that's the good right. news that's actually normal what do you mean you're right. traumatized by thoughts of hell you don't have to be like you know or, or right. maybe well, you probably are should be like they're, they've got this inner narrative of what well, they should yeah. be traumatized by hell because they're apostate you know i think it's a very difficult line to walk really i I would think so and not only that but what is it what if they're as a christian therapist isn't the majority of what they're going to suggest as a way to treat that going to be religious in nature yeah i I think anyone that says they're a therapist (laughs) if if you need to use the word christian in your description immediately avoid like that's basically that's my advice if they say they're a christian therapist if they're a therapist and they happen to be a christian but they didn't need to say exactly a bit safer yes Um, but it is, I, I, also, I do wonder, it's a bit like the whole, does there need to be this pastor explosion kind of like within this kind of movement or a pastor? Does there need to be a whole world of therapy that is post-religious therapy almost? So people that actually have Maybe. been on this process, it just, it fascinates me. Do you I mean, get that, a lot of work you may, you may see that. You, I mm. mean, you may see that coming up. You may, I mean, that may be a part of this evolution that there'll become a new, you know, field, yeah. so to speak, in the realm of therapy based on this kind of need. Yeah, because um, it is—it's problematic not being not being defined, not being uh, a specific diagnosis or anything like that. Like, so if I go online to like an online in the UK, we kind of have like different branches of being licensed, and you can type in on that website, you put in your address, and it gives you all the licensed people within, and you can contact them, and it'll show you their disciplines and things like. That. There's no way, particularly for me, to go. I've got religious trauma, or I've got right. some sort of spiritual, <laughs> like. It's not delineated not gonna, right now that way. Um, right. And so I, I do wonder. Yeah, we probably do need some form of. Until there's a definition, until there's a category on systems right. like that, it's going to be. Very I think the closest right you person. have, the closest you have, probably is a trauma-related therapist mm. at this point. But again, I don't know that that's specific enough. Yeah. Um, but that's it, probably the closest you could find. Maybe it becomes common enough that it just becomes normative anyway. <laughs> Who knows? Well, with the number of people leaving churches and questioning their beliefs, that it's a very real possibility. Yeah. Um, and and maybe actually shows a need for that kind of field. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to actually be something that those in the, in the psychology field are considering, mm. because that it seems like there would be a lot of value to that. I mean, that's my interest. Yeah. Um, you know, that wasn't my original interest in entering the psychology field, but it definitely played into it and now has become the predominant interest. So yeah. I, I think that, I think that's a good change if it happens. Is there much work in this area? Are you breaking very much is. new ground or, or uh, as you're looking at this, are you seeing quite a bit of study within the area of like people leaving church communities, I'm, what it's doing psychologically uh, to them? I, I think if you look specifically for that, you can find some of it. It's, I don't think there's a whole lot of it out there right now. I ha- I am noticing a lot more um, like, you know, peer reviewed stuff on religious abuse and, mm. and religious trauma and all that kind of stuff. You are starting to see more of that. So again, that's broadening the spectrum, so to speak, as far as the need for that kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, the ba- So the foundation is maybe being built into that. Yeah. Um, I see it going that way, which is, like I said, why I've kind of catered my interest into that area. And because it's such a personal thing for me, it was something I've experienced. Um, and so I really want to understand it a lot better. Um, mm. but I also want that experience to be valuable. So if it, if it can serve to help somebody else, then that's a plus. Um, yeah. 
but again, that's a dicey line to walk because my experience will never match somebody else's. So I still no, have to absolutely. be very careful with that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really intriguing to me, the whole concept of, yeah, yeah. well being psychologically, how it affects people. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, a whole, the, my, the, the guy that I'm working with, the research um, company, uh, their director keeps hammering on. He's like, the one that I want you to do the most, he's just interested. He's like, please do a well-being scale. He's like, just throw a couple of well-being scales in there and let's see how, people, how they're getting on. Because it, it is fascinating, but generally speaking, the data says people involved in religious communities are happier generally speaking a lot of that's probably is it the community just, is it, or yeah, i was they, gonna say is it or, specific to religious community or just community in general yeah well i i've i've, I've seen studies to say community does a huge amount for people as right. well but right. it, absolutely and, and what's interesting is inactive religiosity is almost in, completely indifferent to someone that has no affiliation at all so it does seem very much it's to do with being active in your religious practice right. i also think a lot of people um i posted some of those uh data pieces the other day on instagram and people were commenting their opinions i asked people for their opinions and a, like a vast majority of them said to be honest with you when i was a christian i would have felt compelled to say that i was happier than i am and i would have felt that that's just i should be happier and I, and i would even see myself as happier it was only when i left that i looked back and go I wasn't happy at all. I was just right. kind of living in this narrative. And so maybe there's a lot of that as well. Well, I think that speaks mm. a lot too. And I don't know if you've heard the term or not before, but mimetic theory actually talks about, you know, the genesis of desire and, yeah. and, and, and comporting oneself in a way that matches everyone around them. Uh, and yeah. I mean, you know, we've known about that for years. We always talk about peer pressure and teenagers and stuff, but that's very, very real for adults as well. Um, so yes, if, if I'm going to church, that that's the Sunday morning syndrome. Right. And everybody mm. is, even if you've never heard that term before, that's a reality most people are familiar with. You get up on Sunday morning, everybody's fighting, nobody can get their shoes on, you know, but we got to get to church. And as soon as we get to church, our family's perfect. We've yeah. had, you know, everything goes well and we're projecting our best thing forward. And then we go home and life just becomes messy Chaos. again. Right. And, and, but yet we feel compelled to make sure that everybody knows that we're, well, we're fine. We're good Christians. Mm. We're good. We're happy. We're fine. So there's this need to project that happiness because that's the expectation of Christianity mm. um, that you're supposed to be happy and secure and in have faith and all of these things. So you project what's expected rather than maybe what you truly feel which is why you'll find if you do, and I think if you look at studies, it bears it out, um, the number of uh, alcoholics in church, active alcoholics, active drug users, um, people having marital affairs. I mean, those things are statistically happening in church, but we don't yeah. talk about those. Everybody's happy, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so it, it becomes, so again, is it expectation or is it actually, they're actually happy? I don't know. I don't know how do you tell the difference because if they're not willing to tell you the truth, how would you find that out? At least, I mean, even in an anonymous study, like, like most of these usually are like even the self deceit of like like, me believing my own story as well. It's fascinating. So we see grief, we see, you know, some trauma. Do you see specific, um, do you see any other things psychologically happening to people that are going through this process, maybe more positively or negatively in different areas? Or do you, well, I mean, some of the biggest stuff that's happening is, of course, confirmation bias. Um, you know, that's that's easily seen anywhere. We we only we only read or um, expose ourselves to those things with which we already agree. Uh, it feels comfortable. The problem with that is we live in a an echo chamber, basically. Mm. Um, cognitive dissonance is huge. Uh, if it doesn't match my narrative, I have to do mental gymnastics to make sure I can justify why it doesn't, yeah. um, or I just dismiss it as not true. Um, 
you know, so there's those, there's a bunch of different processes that are very mundane, well-known psychological processes that are deeply embedded in all of this. Yeah. Um, but none of us are able to really, most of us are not unable to step outside of it and go and recognize like, oh, when we're in it, we don't notice that. It's yeah. when you finally somehow step outside of it and you go, oh, wow, I, I did that. Hmm. But, you know, it's, so it's, it's all of that stuff is very interesting. So there's a lot of different psychology that goes into, into this whole process more so than just grief. Um, yeah. I just thought grief was the most profound or because I was experiencing it. Good so it was idea, very yeah. profound to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it is, it's really, really fascinating. And, and you're not, you, you are far from alone in that. And I'm sure you know that mm-hmm. you're far from alone. Yeah. Like, um, the other day I posted a thing saying, um, what, what do you, what did you experience or lose? Uh, what, what did you feel? maybe grief of loss over the most. And, and it was like, it was overwhelming, like reading through hundreds of people commenting what they felt they'd lost. Um, mm-hmm. And it, what's fascinating is, again, it points to most of the data that's there already is the number one thing was community. You know, there was mm-hmm. a lot of other things, but community was the one that stood out. Yeah. Um, and, and it fascinates me that you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe that narrative within the church. If people said, what's the most important thing here? You wouldn't, you wouldn't feel that you could say, oh, well, us. Right. you would think that the answer is God, God, or, right? Know, Jesus. my relationship yes. with God, right. or some, and right. people do go, oh, I'm grieving the loss of a relationship with God, because I don't know how to mm-hmm. relate to God anymore, or I'm grieving the loss of God entirely, because I don't even know how that works, or who he is, right. or whatever yeah. it is, if he is, um, <laughs> the grief of myself, um, you know, even, um, some of it was family, some of it was friends, but predominantly it was, I'm grieving the loss of having a place to be and belong. Mm. Um, and so it's a huge, huge area. I'm really excited for whatever it holds in the future, what, yeah. what you're going to be uh, um, bringing out. So your book is Ugh. out, did you say? Or no, no, it's process? been edited and it's been sent to the publisher um, who sent me a very big, nice message that he wholeheartedly was excited that he finally got my book. He had a big smile on his face and he said, this is, this is my unequivocal, unequivocal uh, acceptance. Wonderful. And I said, read it, please. Because <laughs> he said, I haven't read it yet. I'm like, well, you have to read it. You can't tell me. So you got to read. No, no, no. I know you and your writing. So I know I'm going to take it. And I'm like, no, that doesn't make that's me feel better. So you have funny. to read it that's because so I'm funny. almost positive. Everybody's going to hate it. That's, that's how uh-huh. I see it. So I, I'm like, no, you have to read it first before you tell me that. So that's I haven't really heard funny. back from him. So I'm assuming he's reading it or he's having someone read it. So yeah. um, I'll wait to see the final declaration on yeah, that. Wait till but... you, get, you get his notes back. Exactly. <laughs> see if it's equally as big. Yeah. Well, he, and... he sent me a message at the beginning of the year and and because we've been talking about this for over a year and a half Mm. and uh he sent me a message at the beginning of the year and he says so tell me is 2020 going to be your year and I said I'm I'm positive it's going to be I'm going to make it my year because I you know I was struggling so hard to write it yeah um especially as it as it just as it pertained to like the idea of acceptance in the grief cycle I didn't know what that looked like so I was having a very hard time writing it felt very hypocritical to try and write something I didn't understand Mm. Um, so it wasn't until I could start feeling some of that, that I was like, okay, now I can write on this. Um, yeah. So it took a while. So I'm hoping he's going to get it out this year. We'll see. Yeah. I'm just happy great. I'm done. You, you definitely <laughs> let me know and I'll, uh, I'll, okay. yeah, I'll put it out there for sure. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Honestly, I'm, Absolutely. I love fascinating people and you are definitely oh, a fascinating person. <laughs> lots, of, lots of interesting uh, thoughts and lots of different areas. We probably could have gone down about 110 different routes. Probably, um, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm trying not to go through too many. <laughs> um, it's been so hot here. It's been like... Oh, really? Low 80s, which is so hot in the UK. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> which is ridiculous. We are humid uh, here, more humid. Yeah. Um, 
but when you're not used to it, I used to live in California. I mean, I can yeah. do California is my deal. So. Um, <laughs> but uh, I am like, I've, I'm just dying. It's like, it's so it's not too late, but I'm like, it's so hot. So I've just been in the sun all day, pretty much. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's much later so, there for you. Yeah, I know. It's eight hours. It's the way of, of the podcast. If, if you want yeah. to interview people on the West Coast, it's late yeah. at night or uh, or they get up at the crack of dawn. I, I'll take yeah. the hit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if people are spending two hours of their time talking to me, I'll, I'll, I'll take the hit. Well, that was nice of you. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. So um, wonderful. Um, I'll, I'll let you know when this kind of comes out and uh, okay. you're free to, I don't know if you listen to your things again. I, I never listen. I do. Them. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I've got a couple, I've got a couple that I've done recently that I haven't listened to. So okay. I need to go back to, but my husband listens. He came home last night. Well, he listens to my podcast. So he came home last right, night to okay. give me some corrective grammar stuff in my podcast. I'm like, God, stop it. <laughs> now I'm going to think oh. about that every time. I- <laughs> Nobody needs that in their life. I know. That's just the way he does things. So. <laughs> Oh dear, that's funny. What's your podcast about? Uh, my podcast is called Bookish. The Canon Continues. Um, it's same publisher. He brought it to me and said, hey, I think this would be good for you. Uh, basically, it's the idea that even though the canon is closed, that God still inspires people right. in different ways. And so what? So the tagline is bridging the sacred and secular divide book by book. So the premise is um, sometimes I do single episodes where I've chose the book I want to talk about. Most of the time I have somebody on with me. They choose a book and I read it. And then we start discussing uh, its applicability to, to, to life, to God, to our lives, everything. So we've done some really good ones. You must be a reader though. I mean, like adding that to your life of like, oh gosh, how, how often does your podcast come out? Every two weeks. Oh, I get stressed about adding another book to my life every two weeks. That's well, it, you know, I that's why he said that's why he brought it to me because he's like, I know that you read you like a through. tremendous amount, and I do. I read probably I've never kept actual count, but just ballpark it anywhere from 175 to 200 books a year, and probably yeah. more. But um, so I do read very quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, he actually sent me one to read the other night and I read it in a night and said, okay, here's my feedback on that. So I, I'm very blessed that way. I, I retain so, well and I read quick. So jealous. <laughs> I, I read brutally slow and oh, I try really? and do a couple of books a week, but yeah. And a lot of the books I'm reading are not, the vast majority of books I'm reading are not like simple stories yeah. but anecdotes, like, like what right. you're writing there. Like I, I probably would read that much quicker, but once you're reading <laughs> stuff that is footnotes every book, like, yeah. It's a little word. denser. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I hate it. I, I, I do. Not Some know of them are. Better. <laughs> well, the ones that I dislike, it's not that I dislike the book. It's the fact, like I had one, that, uh, the, the book they brought to me was on mimetic theory, which I'm a student right. of, but not a very good student of. Okay. And so I had to discuss this book and I'm like, this is way over my head. And I, I just felt completely out of my league with this person. And he was very gracious about it. He, he was, I mean, we had a great conversation, Sure. Um, but I had this idea of how it went. And then I had to listen back to it. And I was like, Oh, okay. It was better than I thought. <laughs> Cause I was just positive. That's I sounded really like a, funny. a dummy. <laughs> That's dude. That is why I have people come on my podcast, and I just ask them stuff, and I'm like, I don't know, like, so like, I'm like brief. I thought I knew, but I'm pretty confident I won't know. So explain it to me. You know, it's it's just easier. Good way to learn, though. I mean, because even if you don't agree with the person, you now have learned a new perspective about yeah. something. So absolutely, I think, that, I think conversation is an amazing way of doing that. So yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's a, why I like mine too, because we just sit and chat about the books. I mean <laughs> it's funny. I, I went I was in um the South recently in, in um Georgia, and there's this business guy there who started his own podcast and he's kitted out one of the rooms in his offices and it's like, oh wow cameras everywhere. Like he's got a guy, he's got a guy that like switches between cameras and like records. Damn, I just have a microphone. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm lucky if, if you get a microphone some days, you know. I mean some of the people I interview don't even have a microphone, you know. What I mean it's, right. like, it's yeah. Um and so like um Anyway, he's like kitted out, but he's like, he's like, this is the best thing ever. He's like, I don't really like to read because I read books and I just have questions and I don't know how to answer the questions. So he's like, so instead of buying the book and reading it, I just have people fly to me, come to my office, sit down, and I talk to them for a few podcasts and I ask them my questions, ask them to explain it, then I ask questions. He's like, it's like better than reading a book. I was like, that's the way to do it. I mean, and that's basically what I'm doing as well, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so just well, that's all right. I mean, everybody does their thing differently. So, so yeah, I just started listening to Audible books not too long ago, which mm. I'm not. I it's never been my forte. Okay. I need something in front of me. I like to be able to see it. So, but yeah. I've gotten much more adept at it now. And there's quite a few I started listening to recently on some more in-depth subjects. So that's a little harder to do. But listening to the in-depth ones. Oh, yeah, man. But oh. you know what ends up happening is if I find it to be really good, I end up ordering the book anyway. Really? <laughs> so then I have formats. That's funny. If you get them at the Dax, same time, never read, they're like so. way cheaper as well. But you end up not yes. doing that as well, which is funny. <laughs> Well, the other day I came across a subject matter I wanted to know more about. So I actually got two different books on Audible about it, but then I ordered another book. Okay. Yeah. So I'll get different perspectives that way. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll be on the same subject matter. I find that with Audible though. I I love it because I I like to unwind at the end of the day. I'll just put it on Mm -hmm. and then I'll just have like a stupid like game on my iPad or something. I can just like, it busies my hands and like has one part of my brain just like not distracted and not wondering, but I can just focus. And I'm listening That's to how I work all the on, time. Um, <laughs> it's, it's called How Not How to Be an Anti-Racist. And it's a phenomenal oh. book. Really recommend it. Um, huh. I can't remember the guy's name. I can't remember, but um, huh. people it find it for that. But it's, it's a great book. But I tell you what, I'm listening to it. And the whole time I'm just like, I'm going to have to listen to this book like four or five times. You know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's just like, ah, this is just so many concepts. Probably not academically too complex or anything but it's just like when you're talking about a world that you just don't you don't yeah. experience from that perspective and you're probably on the other side if you're honest um you go god i'm gonna have to like yeah so many times uh, it just uh, kills me and a lot of my audibles i listen to it like 1.5 or 1.25 just speed mm-hmm. up a bit just a little bit this one this one i'm like dude i need like 0.25 i need to slow it down <laughs> Well, I actually like the paper books because I actually like for my podcast, because I'll, I'll highlight and take notes in the margins. I have a notebook where I'm taking notes so that I almost have an outline when I discuss it. Like, and I know where, Oh, I had a quote on this page. I can go to it and everything, you know, but if I'm just reading for me, you know, audible is okay, but I still like that. I'm the same way with electronic books too. Like electronic books. I love my Kindle, but that's usually only for fiction. Yeah. Um, just because I don't have to keep track of notes on fiction most of the time. So um, that's funny. My wife yeah. just doesn't let me buy more books. She just knows how many books I have that I've not finished. Yeah, um, so I have too. to buy a lot of them on Kindle. So there's less deliveries, you know? Yeah. That way it doesn't show I'm not up. I'm actually going to stop the problem. <laughs> no. I'm not going to deal with my and how, and how amazing is Kindle? Like I want a book. I find it. I download it. I mean, it's done. I, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. A I'm lot spoiled. of books, you can just download the sample. And by the time they finish the sample, you're like, I kind of get what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> You've summed it up well enough in the introduction that I know what you're saying. Yes, yeah, 
<laughs> well, I love, uh, because my podcast is with the same publisher that I work with. Um, like if we have a book coming out, like he sent me a, a proof book a few weeks ago of a book that's not coming out till September. And it was fantastic. And oh, so fantastic. I just called him. I'm like, is there any chance I can get that book? He's like, yeah, I'll send you a proof. I'm like, yes. Brilliant. That's so, so good. <laughs> it's not the final thing, but you know, it's just going to be editing. It's by that point, it's just editing. Yeah. But <laughs> so that's been very nice too. He's like, yeah, I'll help you get whatever books you need. That so is awesome. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Except so my a, bookcase is uh, becoming, yeah. you know, two, like there's two on each shelf. There's a double. It's evolving. Yeah. Yeah. I need a new bookshelf. So. Oh man, I, books are not. Yeah. I mean, none of these are even my books. These are just books from like a, a yesteryear from my wife. So most of them are like, you know, you don't want to give them to like a charity shop sort of thing. You know, you want yeah. to you know, torch them. But I, I've gone to a place where actually I probably give them to a charity shop because someone will find them helpful. Yeah, um, I think the, the only books I've ever here. thrown away uh, was the Left Behind series. I <laughs> threw that entire thing away. My husband actually got rid of it, oh, but I've read it like five or six times all the way through or something, so you know, funny. years ago. <laughs> That's one of my biggest cringe moments when I look back at different moments of my life. When I was about, I'm showing how young I am, probably about 17, <laughs> I think it was in one of my first jobs. And uh, I was in my lunch break, and I was reading Left Behind. Oh. And uh I don't know which one it was. They're all the same. They're just flying yeah. around the world like nonstop. Like Jet yeah. Fuel is just like, you know, lying. I up. know, right? Um, but uh, <laughs> they're doing the thing. And then my boss comes in. And he's like, oh, what are you reading? And I'm like, oh, it's a book about like, you know, whatever. I'm trying to explain it. And he's like, oh, he's like, um, I can't remember what he said. <laughs> he said like, oh, like, I don't really uh, go for that say, fiction or whatever. And I was like, well, we'll find it's not out fiction. enough. It's not fiction. <laughs> And I still look back at that and I'm like, oh, I just cringe. Oh, yeah, dark. I know. Like, I cringe about so much. Boss, like, oh. Um, but yeah, I got That's a lot part of the whole process is, well. is learning to forgive yourself for what you didn't know before. Absolutely. One of my <laughs> biggest Facebook posts when I first started on Facebook, probably about 12, 13 years ago now, was um, I posted, I don't know what she's done the most damage, the Satanic Bible or the Left Behind series. <laughs> That's a good it, point blew up because i was in the charismatic world at that time yeah I, oh I, I bet you got <laughs> i wasn't in the charismatic world psychologically maybe but i was there and um, right oh man i got i bet aside. you took a lot for that <laughs> i was in a position of leadership it was it was interesting um but yeah it was good fun was oh good my books, gosh man. You could, they were page turners you know so, they were i couldn't wait for the next one to come out line faces and oh yeah next? And, yeah. Well, I grew up so terrified of all of that and so certain no that it was going to happen in my lifetime that, you know, I was fascinated with the subject matter. And yeah. so those books, I couldn't read them fast enough. And I read them over and over and over, uh, along with, you know, late great planet Earth. I mean, every yeah. book that had anything to do with that, I read all of those as I was growing up. And I look back now and I, and, and I you know, that's one of the things about this whole process. You, you said you asked people what they were grieving the most. For me, it wasn't community. For me, I'm grieving the time that I feel like I lost, yeah. you know, because I'm older now, you know, and so mm -hmm. I, I look back and I think, God, I wasted so much time when I could have yeah. been doing things and studying and learning all these things, you know, much earlier than I am now. Yeah. Um, but the only way to reconcile that is to say things happen for a reason, I guess, yeah. in some form and you or fashion. And you wouldn't so. be you where you right. are right now right. with the you know, it's so tough isn't it because i had a yeah. i had a pastor was about gosh been pastor for like 25 years or so and, and she's like in tears talking to me going mm. i've wasted 25 years of my life mm. and and, and that's how it feels trying to like empathize with that as yes but also going you wouldn't be here right where right. we don't know maybe you'd be in a much better place maybe but would you want to be different than you are the person right. 
not not right. your circumstances but who you are yeah we, i don't know it's it's tough isn't it I, I, if there was only a way to be the person i am now earlier that would be great <laughs> yeah it was like when you watch this like you know like a teen comedy or something you think god i wish i could go back to high school as me because oh i would just you know I never want to go back to high school i'm way beyond that i don't ever want to do that again i don't have any desire for that but oh, yeah i'd like to go time, back right? i'd like <laughs> like to go back to about 40 i could be comfortable okay. at 40 again <laughs> yeah. Oh, <stop. laughs> that's funny so yeah. as a, a avid reader what are your top top picks for people that are going through deconstruction oh boy i don't know i've read so many um it depends i, I mean are we talking about religious tenants that they're just dis- that are discussing or i mean there's still there's oh, it's such gosh, a broad range is, dang it deconstruction <laughs> Let's let's avoid theology and more um, uh, maybe the the journey or even just things that peripherally uh, maybe helped you on your journey. You know, maybe a good novel that you were like, "Gosh, this oh just gosh. spoke to me on the process." Or I don't know that I had any that really spoke to me on the process. There were just so many that I read to understand myself better. A lot of books on psychology and mm. um, you know, and I found value. I found value even in a lot of the fictional ones I've read. You know there's some little thing that you take away from them because they're applicable to our lives. If we allow them to be, I don't know that anything stands out like specifically in deconstruction Sure. in my journey. Yeah. There's a few. Um, when I first started asking the questions theologically, uh, the Jesus driven life by Michael, by Michael Harden was love Michael. Um, yeah, it was a very big page turner for me yeah. as well as some of his books. I don't know if you know about his books on, um, all the shaman stuff. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with yeah. that? Yeah. Walking with Grandfather? Yes. I loved Walking with Grandfather. I actually went to one of Michael's conferences for oh, the week beautiful. out in the woods and doing all the fun stuff. Yeah. Matthew and I both went. We had a good time with that. He's an um, amazing guy. Yeah. He's a, he, he's, yeah. There's so much to learn from him. Now, I actually one thing I will call. say, you're the first person I've ever heard to describe Jesus Driven Life as a page turner. For me, <laughs> it's my number one recommended book for people that are theologically trying to frame things but it's the last book i would say that you'll get through quickly like people just i i sat there for weeks going oh god i need to go back and read the chapter again <laughs> oh i read through it, it was, a couple times it for was sure. intense yeah um i've told michael this is why i'm good friends with michael so mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah, um, yeah i loved his books and so, then so he, good. i think i've got every book he's written um there's a few of them i haven't read but some of his facebook what the facebook i haven't read all of yeah. those um, because I saw a lot of his stuff on Facebook. So I was, course, yeah. you know, um, so his book is, has been very mm. big. Um, theologically speaking, Doug Campbell has a yeah. lot of books uh, or has a, uh, the deliverance of God, which I've never got all the way through. I was going to say, you're not saying through. that's a page turner. No, no, no. That one's <laughs> dense. Um, but I did do a reading group in which we did, you could read that book, but along with it, you read some peripheral, um, literature about that book, uh, yeah. by, um, uh, Chris Tilling. Um, yep. has a couple books he's and I love Chris. He's Campbell, yeah. A, yeah, he's a good guy. Like he cracks me up on Facebook. He's Maybe for a theologian. He's a funny guy. <laughs> yeah. I should um, so I've read on. some of his books. Idea. So yeah. So a lot of, a lot of things theologically like that were stop gap, you know, is that kind of opened the theological world up to me, things that I didn't know because I was so very stuck in what I knew. Didn't realize there were other eschatological views. I didn't realize there were other viewpoints on hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I still remember I watched a Kevin Miller's documentary on uh, Hellbound. Yeah. And of course, Michael's in that as well. And I watched that in my living room and my husband was here. And so was my daughter, one of my daughters. And 
I was fascinated by it and I'm taking it all in. And we got done with it. And I looked over at my husband, who, by the way, was not in the same place as deconstruction as I was, um, which is, of course, very difficult. Yeah, he very. He looked at me and before I could say anything, he put his finger up. He goes, I don't want to talk about this. And he got up and left the room and he refused to speak about it. And, and I was devastated. I was like, I need to talk about this. <laughs> this is all brand new to me. I had no idea there were other viewpoints on hell, you know, or on, you so know, funny. eternity. And so, yeah. It, it, Poor so guy though. I mean, like, are you kidding? No wonder he doesn't want to talk about this. Cause you have no, like what's going on in his mind? Just yeah. witnessing that. Oh, that caused, so talking about relationships and community. I mean, that's another area that I cover in the book too. The idea of how devastating that process can be on your relationships, your yeah. very close relationships. Um, there was an evening when I sat here when I was questioning whether the Bible was truthful or not you know if it was infallible or not and I remember him standing there screaming at me like yelling at me like what is wrong with you I don't know who you are anymore and I like very seriously thought I might lose my marriage over something that I had no control over like I I didn't ask for any of this just happened absolutely and yet it was going to have this very detrimental effect on my family um so we still don't agree on a a lot of he's come a very long way he questions a lot of the same things now and he kind of laughs about it now he's like yeah i remember when you were questioning that i had a hard time with it now i'm questioning it too um so we we still have our differences of opinion but he's a little more in line with things now but it's a hard thing and not everyone does right i mean not everyone does start questioning that and and the thing is it's really tough because um of all the things you marry a spouse you know you marry someone uh, for (laughs) Um, you know, there's lots of things and most of them we realize can change. You know, marry someone because you yeah. like how they look. Now that right. can change. You right. marry them because of, you know, whatever, like that could change. But your faith would never right. change. Right. It's not and, supposed and ultimately, to change. that's the number one, right? Before you even think, are they smart? Are they funny? Are they intelligent? Are they good looking? Like, or, or whatever your categories are in your right. boxes, how tall they are or whatever. The thing that you're thinking as a Christian is, well, they've got to be a believer. Like that's, that's just <laughs> the first thing. And so then you, your, your wife turns to you and goes, Hey, did you see that hell I don't think I believe it. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> what? what? What's happening right now? You know, like yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very, very foundational um, thing to process. I mean, it's hard for people to process in marriage, their partner changing in any way sometimes because you're like, well, I'm, I want you to be that. Maybe some people marry people because they want them to change. I don't know. Right. As <laughs> a project, as well. who knows? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's a, it's a brutal but that was something i talked a lot about with mark because obviously he's um he's a relationships therapist yeah um and yeah i mean i can't even imagine yeah it's difficult I, yeah it's, it's very difficult and and it's unfortunately kind of sad as well because I, I you know when i started questioning things i was questioning things theologically in church um there were other there were other things going on in church that you know ultimately led to disagreement as well but yeah. um as i said we knew a lot of the inner workings um but i was questioning all the theology stuff so when we were asked to leave my first thing was i felt so guilty like i got sure. my family kicked out of church yeah. and i felt devastated i said it feel, it feels like driving a car in which there's an accident and you're responsible for all the injury you know and but my husband said something to me then um he said you're not responsible he said look you were just ahead of the rest of us. It doesn't mean we weren't questioning. You were just more vocal and ahead of us in the process. If, if you can put it on a linear process. And he's like, so it doesn't mean that, that you were responsible for us. It means that you were just ahead of us in that, in the mindset. And you were the one that was vocal about it. I'm like, yeah, but I still feel responsible. (laughs) But did he feel that initially or is that more of his reflections on that? No, he, he said that initially. Right. Initially. Wow. That's beautiful. 
Yeah, he did. And but then we proceeded to have issues, you know, as as, as you go down yeah. the rabbit trails, you know, some of the rabbit trails go a little deeper than maybe somebody's comfortable with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but he actually, well, nobody's going to church right now, but he actually goes to church. Um, I have uh one of my daughters lives in Texas. She and her husband go to church. Um, but I don't, and my other three children and their spouses do not. Yeah. So that's you know, I, I every now and then end up back in that place where I feel a sense of responsibility as a parent, like I've failed somehow mm. because my children don't have a relationship with God. And then I have to kind of laugh and go, well, you don't exactly have one right now. Yeah. So what are you going to yeah. do? But my, my daughter, my daughter that's in Washington, actually the one that really struggled through it. She sent me a thing on Mother's Day and, and, and she said, thank you for always telling me it's okay to not be okay. And um, I, I think that's really true. And so I have to keep reminding myself of that for myself, but also that, that it's okay that they're not okay. I have to allow them to go through. Yeah. And and thank goodness they're going through it much younger than I did. They're not going to have as much time yeah, to grieve seriously. as I do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They're not going to have as Big much advantage. to get rid of belief-wise. Right. Yeah, all right. the yeah, but the cringy, yeah. I mean, the cringiness of thinking, you're talking about being cringeworthy over left behind and things like that. The cringiness of looking back at realizing what you exposed your children to. Yeah. No. And and they laugh at me now. They're like, oh, mom, remember when you said this? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I don't want to think about that, you know. That's and then so but there's funny. guilt associated with that, too. Mm. Like, oh, my God, I'm responsible for them learning that in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot That's, of. So that all goes into yeah. the grief process, too. Gosh. Yeah, it, it's, it's crazy. I just had a, a partner's call with some of the people that support me. And, and we just do a Zoom every month. And then. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating because two of them had a very different response to having kids. They, hmm. um, so one of them said that when they have kids, they were like, I need to go back to church. I want my kids yeah. to grow up in That's a community I went back and to whatever. Church. Yes, yes. But he was like, obviously, I don't want my kids to believe what they're teaching. Like, I just, I'm going to oh. help them see, hey, this is how different people think. There's a lot of people in this world that are religious and think like this. That's how I believe differently. And, and, and I want you to grow up and do that. The other person on the call was like, dude, I had the exact opposite response. I had kids and I was like, dude, I'm done. I'm done trying to make the church work. I'm done because <laughs> I do not want my kids hearing a word of this toxic. And, mm-hmm. and it just so fascinates me that like, I couldn't tell you one is right or one is wrong. And in fact, right. I would argue that probably both are right for that person. Right. And who knows, maybe we'll find out in the long term that that was right, wrong, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so interesting, isn't it, that we, and it, and I think just that probably should help us extend ourselves a bit more grace and self-compassion as yeah. we reflect on our past that actually a lot of people would have done exactly what you did and would have said, no, actually, that was quite probably helpful, informative. And you can probably look at your kids and go, actually, their season in church, whatever season that was and however long, has made them who they are. Um, and, it's and influenced them in for sure. Ways. Yeah. It's influenced. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, it's funny to hear some of those questions come out of the, my kid's mouth now, you know, like, mm. well, how come da, 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 da. And I'm like, because when they were younger, I mean, I remember one time when my daughter told me we were still in church, none of this had even started yet. My daughter told me, um, we said something about saying allegiance to the flag of the United States. And she's like, well, I don't think we should do that as Christians. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> because I was in the Marine Corps. That's I was so raised funny. God country Corps. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> was you know your thing and she's telling me I, I as a christian i don't think we're supposed to swear allegiance to anything but god and i was like oh, are you crazy and now i think back about it, i'm like gosh, she's absolutely right uh-huh. <laughs> but she was That's right so then funny. and i was like what is wrong with you <laughs> so interesting stuff because i've lived in america i i can enter into that world 
easier than most but in europe that is such a fascinating concept looking across at america and going, oh i'm sure we're quite the, the debacle <laughs> well we all are in different ways i mean i'm in the uk god we're not uh, doing the best in the world um but but it is a fascinating I, I just had kevin miller on talking about his latest documentary which is about the yeah, he was on mine too <laughs> but, um but that that conflation of of nationalism and faith yes. and actually yes. not being able to actually figure out where one begins and one ends like the J and it's an angry it's an angry conversation too if you have that if you get involved Good in that God, conversation it's awful my yeah because don't, the nat- don't touch touching my, politics. my nationalism is touching my gods touching my that's God right touching my politics. that's right and to suggest really to suggest that a christian shouldn't be involved in politics is that's like somebody set off a bomb mm. because that they, they it's so like you said it's so conflated that they can't see a difference between the two um, I always joke. I'm like, I swear we act here like we're the only country that has any Christian influence. Like, like Christianity only exists in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a whole world that has Christians in it, right? Like we have American, I, I always use air quotes, American Christianity, which is something I mm. really want nothing to do with. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I don't think it looks good. <laughs> well, it, it fascinates me as a European in a maybe um, modern, moving into postmodern society, the church is... Uh, Stuart Murray's done a lot of great work on um, post-Christendom. Um, mm-hmm. And so like understanding that, yes, uh, our culture has, is still reflects a lot of our Christian uh, upbringing and backgrounds and whatever. And, and that just flavors everything in a sense. Right. But actually, as far as Christendom, as far as this institution that has power, it's gone in Europe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really exist overall. And that's maybe I certain th- countries here and there. to think of. Uh, of course. Do you think, but so something that I often thought looking at america before i got there and even still now i still think this sometimes i go they're just 20 25 years behind give them another couple of decades and they'll be in the same place if we survive (laughs) the church is dying god if we don't nuke each other right if we all survive it i mean whatever we do um yeah (laughs) um yeah i mean but I often wonder, and then I often think, gosh, it's just such a different bubble. I don't know if if, if you're ever even was like that. Like it's such know. a unique component. It's really fascinating. Because do you think, I don't know if you feel particularly <laughs> uh, 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 ability to answer this question, but I'm going to put you on the spot and require you to. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm intrigued by the, the component of when we conflate our faith and our politics so much, when the faith dies, what happens to the politics? That's my question, mm. I guess, in a sense of, is Christianity dying in America? Probably long-term, unless it, something radically changes, it will see this mass exodus, it will slowly die, there'll be less and less churches. But will its politics die in turn? That, I, I'm, I'm intrigued when they're so interwoven. I, well, personally, my contention is that historical Christianity has long been dying in, mm. in the United States. What you have now is that that combined effect of, of politics and religion. Um, so much so that apparently, and I've, I've been in conversations where this has been said, if you don't vote Republican, you're not actually a Christian, sure. which is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, but, half the so, Christian population yeah. in America, well, maybe not half, but a good portion vote Democrat. Yeah, but they're going to hell. So yeah. <laughs> that's, how, that's what I'm told anyway. Um, but try not being one or the other. Yeah. And, and that's un- inexcusable as well. Then you're the reason the other one got elected. Like if you, yeah. if you vote independently, you're, you're part of the problem. 
which always cracks me up because I'm like, in this country, my vote is mine to do with as I choose. If I choose to exercise it, I can exercise it in the way that I choose, or I don't have to exercise it at all. That's my choice. Mm. That's my freedom. That's my right. If we're going to get down to those terms. And yet you will be castigated by either side. hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I think the answer to your question is, is, if Christianity goes away, I still think you're going to have Christianity because I think it's become its own separate animal combined with politics. I, mm. As I said, I, I air quoted as American Christianity. I really feel that that type of Christianity is often very different from what we know or see around the world as Christianity. Sure. I mean, it's, it's very obvious to me, to some degree, we all live in a bubble, but when I travel extensively, you know, to different regions in the world, you very quickly go, huh. That's Australian Christianity. It's different. Oh, that's yeah. American it's Christianity. Different. And and you start to go, so that's American. That's not Christianity. That's American. Right. Exactly. What are the what are the common grounds across the board? Oh, that's probably a bit more likely Christianity. Right. The rest is our culture influencing that, which could absolutely be a Christian flavor of culture or whatever, but which is um, why you have ass kicking Jesus in the end. I mean, you know, you have those people Absolutely. that it, it, coming Jesus in is with coming his back with vengeance. And yeah. his American he's always pretty kick. built too. Like he's always, oh, you know, yeah. I always want to know what his workout program is because he looks pretty good. Um, he's, but he's it, 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 that, have you seen, um, is it the Philippines Jesus who's got like a yes. 48 pack? You know, it's like, he's what is even happening? Yeah, the ab thing going on and everything. Yeah, like, wow, that, that dude was working out. Yeah, that, that he did. He had very little time for anything. When Jesus went up the mountain to have time alone, he was lifting. He was you know, he lifting was crunching and doing crunching and like yes. for days. <laughs> That's why he went by himself. So nobody knew that was going on, apparently. Seriously. No, but, <laughs> but yeah, so you have these very, these, you know, this very Americanized idea um, that goes along with not only Christianity, but Jesus himself and, you know, the politics behind mm. that. Um Try suggesting that rather than fighting against abortion, maybe you should be fighting for better benefits or better, you know, things sure. that would alleviate abortion. No, you just have to fight against abortion. Yeah. I, and, and if you if you say, if you say, well, I'm pro-life, but I feel this, I'm, that's not my right to tell anybody else what to do, you're still, yeah, I'm, I'm still wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> pro-life, I don't want to see anybody have an abortion, but I think that the way to handle that is to go fix the things in life that are causing Education, women to choose that. Whatever, yeah. Right, whatever the case may be. Um, let, let's fix those problems that are causing women to want an abortion rather than standing outside. Because how much effect are you having standing outside of a clinic with a cardboard sign? You're, you're not changing anything. No. But if you were to do these other things, you would actually be making a change. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It's the bottom line that yeah. is the I wonder how much of that is definition. a grief component. Um, you know, thinking of a, a loss of almost... Um, identity with your nation or even maybe a grieving of like much like someone that's had an abortion so say you've had an abortion and then you get saved into a conventional evangelical kind of right. background because not all christianity is very uh strongly right. anti-abortion uh, in no right there are different elements but yes. yeah but if they're saved into one that there would be this kind of grieving process anew which good god is probably not very yeah. helpful or whatever but of, of going of grieving oh gosh what have i done in this past right. life um, but you actually flip it and you start to go, oh, gosh, what have I done because I've conflated my faith and my politics? I've voted a way that I don't approve of, whether it's Democrat or Republican mm-hmm. or independent or whatever. But whatever there's, it is, there's yeah. elements when those two become conflated, because you can look at certain pockets. If you look at the um, uh, the historically black Protestant movement, a fairly decent sized movement in right. the U.S., almost entirely vote Democrat. 
Um, yes. And so, you, so it's not just conflate necessarily one way or the other. I think it happens both ways at times. Mm -hmm. um, but there might be an element of coming out of that and starting to be able to see some of the differences and go, oh, what have, because there's a certain sense of personal responsibility with someone's vote, with someone's identity, right. with what they cheer, with what they don't cheer. Um, I know Brian Zand speaks a lot about, um, mm -hmm. you know, him literally looking forward to watching people die on TV in the Iraq war. You know, he was like, he was looking forward to going, yeah, we're going to win. Was, I can't wait to watch the American right. television. You know, I'm too young for that. I was probably like six or seven during the, <laughs> the, the beginnings of that. Um, but, and I can't, I can't associate with that. My, my parents were so kind of normal well, European Christian. It, we were anti-violence was a very basic kind of principle. Well, but it comes back to that very dichotomous view, view, uh, viewpoint again, you know, right and wrong. If, if you're in the right, then anything that happens to the people in the wrong, they deserve. Yeah. I mean, that's a basic element. That's another thing. Like I said, when, you know, we were talking about universalism earlier, shouldn't we hope that that's true? Well, some people can't. Um, shouldn't we hope that this person doesn't go to hell? you know, and, and Hitler always gets thrown into that conversation uh -huh. almost immediately. And I'm like, well, shouldn't you hope that Hitler got rehabilitated? Shouldn't you hope? I mean, yes, he was a horrible man. Nobody's disputing that. But shouldn't you hope as a Christian, shouldn't you hope that he was redeemable by God? Because what you're saying is that there are limits to God's redeeming ability if there's somebody he can't get to. Mm. And, and so I, I think a very big part of deconstruction is confronting some of those mindsets, even into politics. So that's, and I think that gets to that level of the spectrum where you're starting to deconstruct yourself and, and to say, well, or even God, you know, here's what I've believed about God, because I've always believed God stood on the side of this pol political thing, sure. you know, um, and, and, and now I have to maybe take a step back and go, maybe I'm wrong about that. You know, so that that's another very big area, I think, for deconstruction. And that one will mess you up, too, because now you're not now you're not just going against, you know, your ideas of religion, but you're going against God himself. You're going against country. You're going against every single person you have a relationship yeah. with because they know you in a certain construct. And now you're yep. stepping outside of that construct. That's mm. that's dicey. Yeah. Across gosh. the board. It's so just, it's like I said, it's a, it's such a big conversation. Yeah. This whole subject matter is such a huge conversation that I don't know that you can ever hit it from every angle that it needs to be discussed. From. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good thing for someone that does a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you can keep hitting it. I'm from not going to so run out of stuff to talk about. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my that's gosh, funny. I don't know. But like I said, sometimes it all gets to be a little much. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's just yeah. so much information, um, and you kind of have to take a break from it every now and then. Yeah, I, I think that's what people are doing when they're saying, I don't believe in God anymore. I think a lot of times it, it is for me. I've just reached a point where I need a break. Like, I don't need to think about God. I don't need to think. I, I just need to be alone with my thoughts for a while and not worry if somebody's looking over my shoulder or not. Mm. <laughs> you know, I just need that little bit of time. Um, and, and then that'll probably change because I do miss those ideas of God. I, I mean, I got very bad news earlier today. A very good friend of mine has stage four cancer that's devastating and my first impulse with that is I, I i want comfort for that from god i want to believe that if i pray god will heal him mm -hmm. i don't know that or believe that anymore you yeah. know but his wife asked me for that can you pray for him what am i going to tell her no i don't believe that anymore no so i said well of course you have my best wishes and my good thoughts i mean you have all yeah. of that i just don't know that it's effective anymore yeah. <laughs> you know so but you you do crave that because it feels normal it feels protective and safe yeah. So you, you crave it, yeah. um, which is, all, again, 
part of that whole process of grieving. Yeah, yeah. bargaining. I mean, it's, it's the closest relationship a lot of people have, closer than their partner, even on some yes. level. Yes. It's depending on how they engage with it, and it's it's like going through a divorce. It's like going through oh, you know, yeah, like the death of a loved one, or, or you know, it really is a, a no wonder people experience grief, experience post traumatic stress, experience all these things. Absolutely, it's devastating. Yeah. <laughs> it's devastating. So. It's fascinating to, for me. I never, it never really was. I, I actually really have enjoyed this journey the whole way through. <laughs> Um, one of those people <laughs> i'm a freak um and i'm introverted so i like being lonely anyway but um uh, yeah no I, I, it's, it's a weird one but uh yeah. and i have a whole bunch of different weird components to my personal makeup that make that viable yeah, and we all how much i'm them. disconnected with it and displace everything or who knows but um yeah it's, it's really fascinating <laughs> really fascinating well yeah um awesome dude yeah thank you so much so much oh, you're welcome. I really thank you so much of your time how can oh, yeah. people engage with what you're doing is, is <laughs> obviously if they're into fitness instagram obviously. instagram is it um, although you have to put up with my pictures constantly of me trying to <laughs> see if i see muscle or not um yeah instagram is is pretty much dedicated to that i don't usually cross my venue there that stays that sure. facebook you can get both okay uh, facebook i do a lot of writing on facebook uh i do a lot of more snarky comments lately um some of my fitness stuff is there i do have a cup i do have a group on facebook called constructive deconstruction okay. um i've not been too active in it lately but people still add to it every now and then and there's just different conversations about different things that people are asking or questioning um, I think we've only had discord in there one time and we kind of settled that and it's been a happy group since then. Um, How, what's your, what's your handle on, um, Facebook? How do people find just, if they search your name or they like to come up? I think it's I could, Shelvis. I think it's Shelvis 88. <laughs> I think, or no, maybe that's, that's my Instagram. That's your Instagram for sure. Don't worry. If, oh if you can't find it, I can um, hunt it out and, uh, I'll add it in the show. I think it's just way. Michelle Collins. It's just yeah. Michelle Collins. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I always feel bad at this question because I always feel like there's supposed to be more outlets of me somewhere, but there's just not. It's just Facebook, Instagram. And then my podcast is, um, it's on Podbean, Bookish. it's on iTunes. Right. Bookish, the canon continues. Yeah. So, and that's from Choir Publishing, uh, Q-U-O-I-R Publishing. If anybody's interested, they're a great publisher. They're getting bigger and bringing in more people. So, um, awesome. yeah, great people there. So, so yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm not in a whole lot of places, so. No, no, that's fantastic. Not yet, Brilliant. anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, keep, keep me posted on how things are going as well. I, I want to know more about the, the avenues that you start to go into as you start okay. fleshing out your doctorate more. Yeah. If I can help as well, I've got. Oh a yeah. People, I was already so. had that in the back of my mind. Like if you're doing yep. research there, that's a good, that's a good thing to have access we, we to. We can put together <laughs> one of, one of my, uh, I, we put out surveys that are five, 10 minutes kind of fleshed out. Um, and we have different sections and different things, but we're, we're amassing collective data. So we're, we're mm. building on that compound. That'll be really so helpful. It's yeah. going to be insane, but we could yeah. maybe give you uh, one of those uh, slots if, if you want to do. A oh, that'd be awesome. Kind of or, well, I'm a couple years away from it. I'm still doing requirements be, for the doctorate. Oh my but gosh, depth of data. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Excited. In another two years, it should be a really good resource. So. <laughs> I'm very, very excited. So yeah, no. Absolutely. But yeah, do, that's great. Do keep in touch. I'll, I'll, I'll yes. obviously as you're on Facebook now, um, as you can see, Instagram is probably not the forte I should be connecting with you. Or maybe it is the place I should be connecting with you. Whatever <laughs> works. I don't mind either one. So. I'm, I'm a rock climber and we go to the gym. Like, oh, really? To, to climb, but um, we do it three times a week. Always love it. Climb for a couple hours every week, at least uh, like each time. I haven't uh, done that. And it is incredible full body workout. You find muscles yeah. that you didn't know you had. I imagine. Weird ways. But we've not, I mean, they've all been shut. I mean, it's like a 
coronavirus heaven. You know, it's like <laughs> a wall with lots of handles that thousands of people yeah. touch on. Yeah, that's not good. That's idea. not good. So uh, we've not been for no. a long time, and I well, feel it. you know, I live around a, a ton of trailheads and stuff, but unfortunately, they're all closed right now because hiking right. was my deal for a long time. Okay, I would do, I would do 20, 25 miles a week wow. um, in hiking, and I haven't been able to do that. So the gym became my thing again. But then I started bodybuilding again, which I did when I was younger, and I decided to be competitive again, and so. Now that's become a very singular focus. So I always nice. warn people, if you're going to go see me on Instagram, it's not going to be anything theological at all. It's just all a bunch of posing and muscle stuff. That's all that is. So, so I was I so sure I had the wrong person when he sent me the link. I was like, because he's like, oh yeah, here's our link. I was like, well, where did I find out more about this person? He's like, here's our Instagram. And I was like, I Wait don't a minute. understand how this is anything to do with psychology or grief or deconstruction. So oh, how amazing. sad. I still, I still went in there. I was like, hey, I hear you're doing this. Like, you want to talk some? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah my, my Facebook has way, 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 way more oh, all kinds I'm of I'm excited like to go that, check it. So. I mean, it's Facebook, so I'll probably, you know, yeah, be very careful. Very... <laughs> <laughs> and, and that group that you mentioned, the Constructing Deconstruction, is that right? Constructing Deconstruction. Deconstruction, yeah. Um, that's open to anyone who wants to join. Yeah, not, there's uh, a little questionnaire at the beginning when you do it. That's just so basically, I know what's going on. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not been like a super active group, but there's definitely people in there. There's still conversations. Um, unfortunately, I end up asking a lot of the same questions out on my normal public page, and so a lot of the conversation ends up there. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. So great. Well, I'll, right. I'll definitely send people to those places and, uh, and oh, yeah, thank you. In touch. But yeah, all right, awesome, great. Well, well great this has been to meet great. You. Thank, Thank you for chatting. Um, of course. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, you as well. Oh, you get to go to sleep now. <laughs> I'm gonna get to bed. I'm probably gonna. I, I'm gonna have to like unwind. Like, yeah. I, I can't help. I'm it, this is the introvert <laughs> in me. I'm like, I'm gonna need to read a book for another half hour or something. Oh no, I totally get you. I'll be done for the rest of the day on talking. So there you go. My yeah. husband will come home. I'm like, nope. Get away. We're done. Nope. <laughs> I'm out of my quota today. So. Well, thank you. Honestly, two and a half hours. Well done. Um, oh. So yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Have a Bye. good one. Bye. All right, that was Michelle Collins. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. You can follow Michelle on uh, Facebook. Her Facebook is michelle.collins.9843. I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well as the link to her podcast. Um, you can check out her podcast, Bookish, The Canon Continues, where she goes through uh, different books with different people um, each time. And as always, I really appreciate you. I appreciate your um, taking the time to listen to these really long um, intense podcasts. I'm sure if you are doing that, you are in some way, shape or form deconstructing. And if that is you, I would love to have you involved over at the Deconstruction Network. It's a network where people are going through deconstruction, can connect with one another um, in their local area, trying to rebuild some sense of community, not rebuilding churches or anything like that, but just to have people in your life, in your area, in your local community that are going through something similar, have been through something similar. It, it can mean so much. And so you can check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if that sounds up your street. And we're also doing a lot of great research um, on people that are deconstructing, trying to change the narrative. And we'd love to have you involved in any of that research if you'd like to. They're just short five-minute surveys every few months. Um, you can check out thegracecourse.com for hundreds of different teachings and all sorts of different stuff. Um, and you can support what we're doing through thegracecourse.com, just a, a little gift of $5 a month or more. It's a bit like Patreon, um, just helps us keep doing everything for free. Everything that I'm doing for free um, is only possible because people are generous in, in donating a little bit every month. And so if that is something you'd like to do, I would welcome it. All right, that's all for now. I will see you in the next episode.